Once Upon a Time, Season 5, Episodes 22 and 23 are over, but we are just getting started here on Once Upon a Recap. Hello, all you magical people out there. My name is Mike Bloom, and I'm joined by a co-host, but first let me just uh, inject myself with some of this red serum. Oh, look, it's Kurt Clark. Kurt, how you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, wow, what a coincidence. <laughs> I, know, I, I, I feel much better now. Good, good. Hey, you got a little cut on your cheek. Wait, do I do I have one too? Uh, no, I got this like shortly after emerging. Oh, okay, all right. So, Kurt, here we are 11 weeks later since we came back to the underworld. We are at the end of Once Upon a Time Season 5, and we are here to cover the big, big two-hour finale that just aired. Ultra jam-packed. This, this dominated... Like three hours of my Sunday evening. No, no, three and a half. <laughs> How so? Well, it's like you, you you watch these and you take notes. It goes a lot slower than if you're just watching a two hour show. Oh, I thought you meant I I didn't know if they had like, you know how sometimes before half seasons, they do those like recap uh, episodes like they do. Uh, they did on Lost Once Upon a Time, not yeah. Once Upon a Time, but the phrase. <laughs> no, like the heroes of Storybrook. Yes, you know, exactly. Well, it did start. It did start an hour earlier, so that was actually a, a pleasant surprise on my part. It started at uh, six central instead of seven central, like it usually does. So yeah, they, have to, they had to finish off the family in style. <laughs> How else can you? I mean, is there exactly. any other way? Is there any other way? I mean, speaking towards family, I feel like it was a it was a nice doubling here of a family based show and another family based show, both of which I think featured a lot of dark actions here. But as Kurt said, I mean, there's a lot to talk about here. We have internal struggles. Henry eliminates magic and then it gets brought back. We have two new characters that seem to be added to the mix and possibly might function as villains going into season six and a little bit of a cliffhanger as well. So there's going to be a lot to talk about, but I do want to bring something up uh, right at the top of the show. So we did get your questions, which is great. However, I will say uh, we're going to answer only a few questions this podcast because as a bit of a surprise to you listeners, we are bringing back the Once Upon a Recap feedback show. So in a couple of weeks around Memorial Day weekend or so, Kurt and I are going to get back together to answer your questions, thoughts, theories about this season as a whole, maybe this past half season, your theories and thoughts about season six moving forward inane questions like what survivors do you think would do well in the underworld and has 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 does well on underworld second chances all that fun stuff will be answered on our feedback show so don't be a stranger please give us your feedback in the next couple of weeks you can always reach out to us on twitter kurt is at kurt clark i'm at a mike bloom type if you have lengthier responses, I encourage you to reach out to Post Show Recaps feedback page. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash feedback and fill out the form there. Just make sure in your subject line you're putting once upon a time in there just so we can parse out that from, you know, I don't want any Mr. Robot questions to be answered on our feedback show. Now, also, if you're an RHAP patron as well, uh, you'll be able to, I'll open up a thread at some point where you'll be able to ask your questions there. But yeah, let us know your thoughts, your questions, your rants, looking at you, Brent Wolgamott. Uh, but we're excited to hear from you guys, especially after, as Kurt said, a very climactic season finale. Definitely not anticlimactic. Uh, very, very, not very much so. Yeah. Uh, I, off the top, I do want to say we talked last week about how the past two years, the two hour finales always kind of functioned as separate stories entirely almost two years ago was the whole back to the future and then hook go back in, in time in the enchanted forest uh, and almost prevent their parents meeting and then last year was isaac finally gets his hands on the pen and the book and he rewrites the alternate history which functioned a little se- pretty much separated 
uh, specifically more three than four from the main plot here seemed like much more of a giant two hour closing episode. Just speaking in broad terms, Kurt, did you like this style more than the ones that we had the past two years? Um, to me, it, it wasn't so much the style of it is, is I go by what the content versus I think the approach. Um, I thought for instance, the, Actually, I, I've liked all three things about all three. I've, I've liked the, uh, the, the going back in time, you know, Emma getting to experience the, the enchanted forest, uh, as, as it was, uh, I, I enjoyed the whole kind of, you know, author alternate timeline. Um, and I, and actually I really enjoyed this. Uh, I, it was, this was something different. I think it was kind of trying to keep you on your toes for a lot of it. And, uh, it wasn't answering a lot of questions right up front. You eventually got many questions answered during the course of the two hours. So I actually very much enjoyed this and I've tended to enjoy the finales. Yeah. Say what you want about once upon a time proper. Uh, they finish pretty well. Usually at least they have since season three. I'm trying to think back. Cause I know we've got the question about rank the season finales and maybe we'll be able to do so by the end of this podcast for the life of me. The season two finale is something that's pretty hazy in my memory. I remember that it's when they chase after Greg and Tamara and Neil falls into the portal and then they decide to sail to Neverland. And that's really all I remember about the finale. I don't even think the finale was two hours. I think they only started doing that in season three. So they definitely have their feet on the ground in terms of writing these endings. And I agree with you. I really, really like this episode. Um, I think just speaking in storylines terms, I feel like the Regina stuff, they knocked out of the park. I cannot commend the writers highly enough for what they wrote for Regina and with Regina this episode. We'll talk a little bit about the Henry stuff as well, which I'm a little more torn about. Um, but I was surprised here because I think going in, we, we both had the thought of, okay, so now our villains for these two hours are going to be Gold and Regina. It turns out that that's not the case at all. I mean, Gold is kind of an independent free agent at this point, but he actually ends up kind of working with them at one point. And it's not like they have to face down any sort of big bad force that completes the season in one big fireworks display. It's more so really setting up those breadcrumbs to lead to that gingerbread house of a sixth season. Yeah, they did a really good job, at least in terms of I had kind of been limited in the extent to which I had been watching previews for the finale. I was trying not to clue too much into what was going to go on. And so the whole, uh, Land of Forgotten Story, Unfinished Stories, Unfinished Business, uh, Untold Stories. Land of, un- yeah, Land of Untold Stories. We just came from Unfinished Business, Kurt. I know, I know. Um, I, I, I kind of liked that being sprung on me. Uh, so, so yeah, it was, I, I was very much pleasantly surprised by what we ended up seeing. So let's start our two hour extravaganza here with the follow up from Robin Hood's funeral, a nice reception in, of course, grannies uh everyone's you know toasting to him there's an oil portrait of him it's like it's like when they send off when they send off a cop in the wire and they all sing that irish drinking song uh regina is obviously still very upset uh and so is henry but henry has a companion returning to him kurt for the first time in this half season violet is back yeah and that's where the title of the episode really struck me the the o- yep. only you I was like oh gosh that's the song that's oh boy we're that's, gonna that's their song Kurt and I, I was at this point I was like we're going to probably get uh, a lot of uh, Violet and Henry moving forward so uh, we'll have to see what goes on with this. <laughs> 
So meanwhile, Hook and Emma are walking down the street again. The last time we saw them, Hook had returned miraculously from the underworld slash Mount Olympus and is back and is mortal again. And Emma definitely for her part, parses out how awkward the situation is going to be especially you know dealing with regina's emotional quality right now she probably does not want to immediately see that oh yeah emma's good because her boyfriend came back uh i'm not so good because my boyfriend just died yeah it's yeah i'm 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 torn a little bit on the whole you know to what extent would regina handle it okay um and I don't know it, 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 it. Here's the thing. The what? as much as I really liked where we ended up with the two hour finale, there's lots of little storytelling decisions during the course of it that I really didn't uh, care for. And I don't know how many of them were intentional and how many of them were unintentional, but not just here, but at several points during the uh, during, I think, the, the first part more so uh, we see Emma trying to uh, tell Regina to back off. She's still grieving, blah, blah, blah. Like, don't, you know, it's, it's really being overprotective of her feelings and trying to get her to, uh, uh, make wise decisions and not with her emotions, which was the entire thing that Emma was getting ticked off by in the last episode. Mm -hmm. Everybody was telling her not to get involved, to not go, to go off and to get revenge on Hades because of what happened to Hook. And she really, really, really didn't appreciate it. And now we have her doing the same thing to Regina and that, Again, I don't know how much of that was supposed to be a parallel and a reference and a mirror and how much of it was unintentional and sloppy writing. I mean, um, I think I, I'd like to give them the benefit of the doubt. I, I would so. think it was a, I would think it was a mirror because let's also remember that cooler heads kind of did end up prevailing last episode in a way in that once her family finally convinced Emma to like stop going aggro on Hades and just calm down and read a freaking book, then she was able to get the answer conveniently when Hook got those pages through to Emma. So maybe she thought, OK, now I know this is the right thing to do. Regina's in a similar place that I was just in. Let me I know where she's mm. coming from. And I know that she has to calm down right now if we want to move forward. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping it was intentional. Um, but even like she, if it, if it was coming from a place of self-recognition, uh, then she as a character should have kind of acknowledged that she's like, Regina, remember, remember when you were trying to get me to calm down? And I, I, you know, I was, I didn't realize at the time that was a good thing. This is that. So that's the only reason I'm saying this to you. She didn't seem to. I didn't get that recognition from Emma that I wanted. That she was now um, had the chance to pay forward what she had learned. I, I, I almost got the the felt like she was um, unwittingly saying this to Regina and not at all aware of how Regina might react. Lana Perea did a lot of press over the past week promoting the finale. And I think in, in at least one interview, she said that Emma was Regina's best friend. Do you believe that? Um, yes, there was a couple points during the episode where, you know, where Regina's talking about who she would lose and, uh, you know, uh, if she was to go slip back and there's a couple points, the way that she kind of talked about her friends and the way that she seemed to, uh, reference emma and and even like the whole the whole scene in in neil's apartment um where they're kind of confiding in one another uh it, it i i really actually do get that sense 
I don't know. I I think that I just because maybe because her and Snow have such big heart to hearts, I would have thought it would have been Snow White. But maybe, you know, like breeds like here in that Regina and Emma are both magic users. They both have been tempted by the dark side and Regina yeah. will allude to the fact that Emma's back from the precipice where she went right over the cliff. So maybe because they kind of have some of the same experiences and are coming from the same place, maybe they see more of a kinship there. And they've both and and they've been. I think they've gotten over more. It, well, I don't know. Like, maybe, I don't know if that's a fair statement. All I was going to say was that, you know, they were such mortal foes and now they've completely put that behind them, but it's not like Snow White and, and uh, Regina were ever like uh, not mortal enemies. I mean, though they were, they were always going at it too, but I think, I don't know. There was something that maybe there was, they, they see a little bit more in each other. Uh, they, they did fight tooth and nail. You know, Emma was almost, um, yeah, they've got Henry in common. Um, yeah. There's even one point where Emma refers, like says to Henry that she has to, he has to do something for his mom referring to Regina. And so I think the point where you see Emma referring to Regina as Henry's mom to Henry, I think that you can see that there's this huge gap that is closed between them. That was just, you never imagined would close back in season one. Yes, it's the the huge chasm that was in Neverland, right? That grew. They built a bridge when they emitted a secret. I'm ignoring Neverland. <laughs> Take a drink. We brought up <laughs> Neverland this episode like we do every time. Uh, and also, uh, as tactful as Emma tries to be here with keeping Hook outside, Adalda's kind of get blown away a little bit as Hook rushes in to make sure everyone's okay because as we see, Mr. Gold has brought his bell box to the clock tower, uh, which by the way, I'm glad somebody fixed that while everyone was down in the underworld because let's remember the last time we saw that, Zelina was getting sucked out of it going back to Oz. I think maybe this, you know, it is a magical town. Maybe the clock tower is self-repairing. Oh, yeah, I think... It has to be, right? Because I remember, I think it was in season three, uh, there was Snow White's rando friend that was in a flashback that Zelina threw out a window and killed her. Oh, yeah. Like, this is Pathmore. Yeah, the person, she was like the like a nursemaid or something back in the old days, uh, back in the, the Enchanted Forest or something. Yeah, so it's uh, like breakaway glass that automatically fixes itself. Yeah. So gold is using the crystal to help his wife and his unborn child. So he takes it out and there's a power that exudes from it and plumes of turquoise magic starts springing up. Um, and you know, Emma's freaked out that, Oh no, hook and Regina are in the same room. What's going to happen. But Regina again is a very mature woman and says, Oh no, this doesn't matter right now. We need to, we need to figure out what the F is going on. Yeah. And this is kind of, what I figured I figured how I figured that she would take it. Um, and it, and it's, it's actually pretty, and she does a really good job of keeping her wits about her in terms of, okay. Um, uh, I'm, you know, I'm used to others getting what they want and me getting the shaft. That's fine. You know, putting that aside, that was a very powerful magical burst and pretty much the only person not here is Mr. Gold. So we have to find out what he's up to. I mean, she's, th- there's a lot of CSI storybook going on in this episode. I mean, they figure things out extremely quickly just by staring through a hole in the grating in the clock tower, which I hope repairs itself as well. Hopefully the entire infrastructure of the town functions in a similar way to the clock face. Well, yeah, I mean, it seems like Zelina, had some sort of sensory uh, power to say, yeah, this, this, this hole is exuding the power of the crystal. So, so there is, there is some magical sensitivity there that they're able to tap into in order to figure out what's going on. I mean, even Regina is able to figure out that uh, it was a tethering spell. So they're able to piece again, as I'm saying it's like a magical CSI. They're able to piece together these little things and, you know, you know, one 
plus two equals three. And they figure out that now uh, the power that fueled Storybrooke is you kind of sucked into this crystal. Yep. And Hook specifically is worried like, okay, if he uses this extreme magic to wake up Bell, he still has all the power of Storybrooke contained at his fingertips. What else is he going to do? So it seems like the plan right now is to go after him, though. Regina is pissed that, as you said before, Emma kind of tells her to cool off and take a take a little bit of a break. So she poofs out on her own saying, I'm going to do everything by myself. And Emma tells Henry to go back to the house. And as you alluded to, Kurt, by seeing Violet, this is going to become very Henry centric for the next two hours. Uh, yeah, um, I, I, I say I wouldn't I would I would describe it more as more Henry centric than usual. I wouldn't necessarily characterize the entire uh, either of the halves as Henry centric, but he's definitely got a bigger part than he normally would. I would say if I picked th- the Mount Rushmore of this episode ah. is, Re- is Regina, Henry, Jekyll and Hyde. That's my Mount Rushmore for this episode. Really? Yeah, I think those are the f- those are the four that by far have the most story elements to them. Yes, Henry has been given something to do besides his random author storyline down in the underworld. Much like last season, he started the catalyst of a lot of this driving action, specifically in the first episode. But that being said, I mean, let's. Any character that tries to give a rousing speech in an episode, they have to have some sort of focus to that. True, true. So what do you think about Henry's sort of reasoning here as he as he talks about to Violet when he's going through the the pawn shop to get money? He basically talks about how he feels that everything comes down to magic. Maybe this is sort of lampshading on behalf of the writer's part. And he says essentially magic has done nothing but bad for his family. I mean it it killed Neil. It killed Robin Hood. It's basically, you know, it, it drove his birth mother to darkness and his his adopted mother was once dark as well because of magic. So his plan right now is to go on a road trip to try to find the crystal and get rid of magic. And he's got this convenient display case of exhibits A, B and C right here. It's like all of the the, the, the key uh evil products of magic are located in one place in the pawn shop. You've got Geppetto's parents, you've got the sleeping needle, etc. Um, I don't know. It's like, I'm sure that he could have also made a case for, uh, you know, if he sat down and thought about it, like, you know, write down a list of pros, write down a list of cons. Um, I, I, I think that he's got a rationale, um, but I'm not sure it's necessarily the best rationale. And given that there's so much in the town rides on magic, I think he's actually being uh, very, I don't know if selfish is the right word, maybe just short-sighted and yeah. not running this plan past um, some adults who actually wield magic uh, in a more experienced way than he does. It's not that he doesn't wield magic. Yeah, obviously he's got the author's pen, uh, but I, I, I think he, well, you know, he's being a teenager. He thinks he knows best. Well, I mean, I wouldn't exactly blame it on him, his age as well. I mean, he also just watched Robin die. And I feel like this might be the final golden spun straw that breaks the camel's back here. And I can I can sort of see where he's coming from, or at least I'm happy that this storyline happened because it does, does bring up this really interesting idea about magic that I feel like the writers really haven't gotten their hands around yet, which is this fact that 
magic really exists in this world now and especially now that emma is has become like a full-fledged magic wielder but as rumpelstiltskin told us all the way back in season one magic comes with a price and it does seem like all the conflict in every season with every big bad that comes our way is focused around magic and so at least in this episode i'm grateful for the fact that albeit through henry we really get to talk about what are the ramifications of having magic and does completely eliminating magic and leveling the playing field do good or bad overall yeah and i'm not um i'm not saying that henry arrives at this conclusion of magic is bad because he's a teenager i'm saying that the decision to that he knows best that he doesn't need to consult any beyond anybody on it um plus the fact that violet is there he's got a little bit of a thing to prove to her i think especially when she reveals that her mom died with magic so i think those combinations i do think that the decision to move ahead on his own on this is one of his teenagery decisions uh, what do you think of the name operation mixtape <laughs> uh now I, we're just I, going with objects I, we, just, we started with animals then we went to you know animals that also function as cars and now we're just at inanimate objects i can't wait for i don't know operation footstool next season oh boy um i i know that you know becca on twitter had kind of uh had had put in a, a a gif of the of the office um and a kind of a heads the face palm uh in regards to the responding to operation mixic i know that i did a i think i believe i paused i rolled and then continued watching so yeah I'm, I'm, it's just so you just so you didn't miss anything while taking notes <laughs> yeah that was i i uh operation mixtape plus the fact that he's got this song i was like but you know what we were we were spared having to hear the song again weren't we well, maybe they ran out of money and they couldn't pay for the rights to play the song again. <laughs> oh, possibly. Could it be like Marshall's Fierro in uh, the first season of How I Met Your Mother and all Henry's mixtape was, was that song looped over and over and over again? Uh, let's talk about shows I've watched, Mike Bloom. Oh, snap. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> it's, only, in my ne- it's in my Netflix list. It's in my Netflix only list. Only you, Kurt. Only oh. you have not watched How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, I mean, Henry does admit here he's being a little hypocritical when he does use the pen and he decides to go against the author's code and writes down the crystal appeared in Henry in the author's hand. And I was excited. I'm like, great, we get to see more author stuff. And then that's sort of the last we see of that for the episode, which saddened me because my bold prediction from last episode was that we would find out more about the author in the book. Mm. well the and we did we we i think we got more of that mythology i don't know if we uh i think we we expanded the possibility we i think we expanded the number of questions that need answered <laughs> um, i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing is that light magic or dark magic i don't know um, it's all bad as henry would say but the i don't know and, and maybe it, i'm naive that this is just hitting me now but it seems that of if you've got this ultimate power to change reality with the pen, there might be shortcuts to destroying magic in terms of like, and suddenly magic didn't exist and like write that down or, or something at least, or, or, you know, and suddenly, you know, um, uh, Henry and Violet were found themselves transported to the location of the means to destroy magic. There, once you kind of break that, you know, once you break hearts as it were on this and, and can start playing hearts for the rest of the card game, um, once you've decided to use the pen, uh, why is he, if as long as magic's going to go away, just keep using the pen to make your job easier and get it over with. 
Yeah, I mean, maybe he thought that like, okay, this is this is like a minor infraction. I could get away with, and maybe he'd think that like, if he did it too much, some spirit of the apprentice would come out of the pen and grab him and pull him into a a nether world or something. Or maybe it's just yeah. his own moral code. Or maybe he just wanted to go to New York to take his girlfriend to see the Statue of Liberty. I'm thinking the latter. I mean, the, the um, to be fair, like the to not just use the pen to do everything was actually showing some unteenagery restraint. Um, but you can't just write your feelings henry yeah <laughs> he's total emo um so yeah it, it's i don't know i don't know it was interesting to see that he decided to uh uh give in a little bit and use the pen but i i didn't necessarily disagree with that move it was it was a thing we all wanted to see him do at some point i mean let's be honest but um but yeah it's like you know what at that point maybe get yourself a little bit further ahead in that game so the rest of the adults figure out what happened to Henry. Gold is there as well. Rather irate about the fact that the crystal is now gone. Uh, Gold says he's going to basically find Henry himself. And now Henry is his personal problem, though. I feel like he has been his personal problem since he got that prophecy about how the boy will be his undoing, which I'm sure is screaming in his yeah. ear right now. Uh, so he poofs out. Regina storms off, presumably once again going off on her own. And Emma stops her again, trying to talk her down and says, you know what? I'm going to bench you. I'll take care of this. Uh, but Emma reveals that she has a key fact. She knows where Henry is because she is smart. A finally smart mother on once upon a time. She has bugged Henry's phone with the GPS so that she can finally track where he's going. I, I did like that. Regina asked gold. What will happen to the town? If we destroy magic and he's like, well, he pretty much hints at the fact, you know, nothing good, um, which honestly was where my head was at. We kind of learned later that that's not necessarily the case. No, it's, it's, it's basically <laughs> said, like, yeah, it'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and the thing, well, the thing is, given that Regina cast the dark curse in the first place, you think that she would also kind of have an idea of what would happen if magic were suddenly leave. But I guess my big question here, and I maybe kind of it did get a little bit answered later on in the two hours is, why did gold go to the loft to Shay charming to explain what Henry is up to? And then basically to threaten Henry's life, wouldn't it have just been smarter for him to go after Henry? Um, because we see that gold's magic now works in the outside world. It, it, it kind of hints at, at the episode that gold maybe needed Emma and Regina to track down Henry so that he himself could find Henry kind of like use their detective skills, but then get to him first. Um, but I don't buy that. He couldn't have just found him using some sort of magic, especially given that they uh, are related by blood. Um, so, so that, that was one thing that confused me was the gold's need to go to Regina and Emma threaten Henry's life and then vanish just to get their ire up. Maybe he was trying to sneak into the loft to grab something of Henry's to make a locator spell so he could go off on his own, but then ran into everybody else and then kind of had to cover his tracks. I mean, I, I, there might be some validity to the argument that he wanted to, to kind of threaten Henry in front of the adults to get Emma and Regina along to New York, but I feel like that's playing too much of a long con. I don't know how much Mr. Golda was really planning that far ahead. So I think it's a little bit of a question mark, but he's off either he's way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they're shipping. It seems like according to Emma, 
they're shipping off to Boston. Yes. Uh, so the two of them head off. Meanwhile, the rest of the heroes meet uh, an angry mob on Main Street. <laughs> Minor characters uh, speaking out. <laughs> exactly, who are saying, you know, oh, we're concerned about this. What's going to happen to the town? Speaking of which, towards like what is going to happen to the town, I believe, from what I remember, I mean, the beginning of season two, they dropped something in the well to erase magic from the town, right? That was the curse that Mr. Gold lay at the end of season one and nothing happened. The town didn't disappear. None of them disappeared. Uh, true. Um, but if, if this is the, I don't know, I think it's, it's a little bit like, uh, you know, applying stain remover to a carpet versus ripping up the carpet. Like, so like, I don't know the diff, like supposedly, uh, he or maybe it's the reverse of that but gold like was extracting the very magic that was the foundation of the town versus simply putting like a cloth over it you know sort of thing it's two slightly different approaches um i i was i was a little bit more concerned when it was kind of so the way i interpreted it was that this was the very magic that storybook storybook was built on or that that, that was fueled that fueled storybook and i was like that just doesn't sound good yeah it's it's load-bearing magic essentially <laughs> if you take it away exactly. it's, all, it's all going to collapse so it seems like you know, everyone's freaking out about the fact that yes, their lives may come to an end, but the heroes have a solution in the form of the apprentice's wand, which makes a return appearance and the return appearance of not a tornado, but a doornado, Kurt. Oh, I'm going to pretend you didn't say that. <laughs> I, 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 I like that, uh, that as there is kind of asking Zelina to create a portal so everybody can get home. Like, let's make sure it's not one of those cyclone portals, please. That would be kind of uh, pointless. But yeah. no, yeah, so it's a tornado and not a tornado. Overall, what do you think about Zelina? So I'm assuming this is how where Zelina is going to reside within the ensemble now. If I'm assuming that Rebecca Mater is going to continue as a regular on this show, now she's kind of fully ensconced herself within the main group. Do you think she fits? She fits along in there. Um. Like the the sister of the mayor, um, I guess um, she she's I know she seems a little bit hook like to me in terms of well, the, know, the one liners in terms of the one liners in terms of most likely to recommend a uh, a quick and swift action versus considering other people's emotions. I mean, you think of David and Mary Margaret as maybe the angel on the shoulder. I'm not saying that hook and, and Zelina are the devils, um, but they're probably not in the, uh, you know, they definitely don't own halos on their head in terms of, I think they're, they're a little bit more, uh, well, hook did, but now he's back on earth. They're a little bit more, uh, neutral and chaotic than, uh, say lawful. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm hoping that in ingratiating Zelina into the ensemble that they're not going to run out of things for her to do in a very similar way that one of my big running complaints with the show is that I feel like they rarely find things for Snow and Charming to do, let alone for things for them to do apart. So I'm, I'm fearing that might be the thing considering that, yes, Zelina is, she does hold the wand and she is the, the resident magic caster of that foursome. But yeah, what it, she does kind of reside in a similar archetype as Hook, a Hookatype, um, where they were, they both spout out sarcastic one-liners. Like you said, they both have a propensity for violence. So I was fine with her in this episode, specifically because she was, probably recovering a little bit from the death of the man that she thought she loved, but it'll be interesting to track that moving forward. Yeah. And, and, you know, we kind of had talked about how there was this need to thin out the cast a little bit. And with Robin hood gone as kind of the main, um, 
quote unquote, well, she, love interest in, in Regina's life. Now there's more of a familial, and I want to say love interest, more like a familial love than romantic love. And so maybe Zelina's going to step in a little bit and fill uh, Robin Hood shoes, but hopefully not 100% fill Robin Hood shoes. I know, exactly. <laughs> Zelina yeah. hopefully will not go, will not turn from green to purple in the next season. <laughs> oh, God. So let's go to Boston. I'll, I'll be it for a brief second as Emma and Regina realize that Henry is smarter than they thought because he purposely left the bug phone on the bus going to Boston to lead them off the trail. But we get a little bit of an epiphany here in that Regina in frustration throws the phone and essentially torches it with her magic. And suddenly they realize, oh, crap, we can do magic out here in the in the world, the quote unquote land without magic. And they assume it's because the crystal is out there, though the dragon will tell them later that no magic has always kind of existed out here. It just depends on what you believe in. Yeah. Although I'm wondering to, to what extent, because there isn't really a belief thing element going on here. This might be because of the crystal. I think it's once the crystal's gone or tapped of its energy that then they might, at that point they have to kind of, you know, rely on the power of belief here. I think this is fueled by the crystal. Um, but at the same time, my question was to my that I was thinking was I would have thought that it was more of an area thing, not that it would impact the entire world. Like you move it, you move the crystal out, and then it's a the, radius. Exactly, thing. exactly. Because um, this didn't seem like belief to me. It's not like it, the the explosion was completely unexpected and wasn't like tried for uh, when 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 Regina threw it away. Um, but so I don't know if it's maybe just the some sort of barrier around storybook and now it's kind of passed through that the entire world uh magic spells can happen but eh we'll 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 see that that just surprised me a little bit uh something to clear up becca asked us now people can leave storybook what happened to them turning into trees and i believe again i might be incorrect on this which is where you lovely listeners come in handy but i believe that when emma finished being the dark swan that that curse had d- dissipated from the town right that sounds right. I'll go I'm with assuming, that. Yeah, because that was the that was it was like the second episode of this season is when Dopey went over the line and turned into a tree. So I'm assuming that when she when the power of the dark when she was no longer the dark one, all the magic that she had used had disappeared. So you know, Sneezy had already been turned from stone back into a regular person by Regina, and I'm assuming Dopey turned back into a tree as well. Yeah, or not turned back from a tree. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so meanwhile, Henry and Violet make the rev we have see the revelation that they are indeed in new york because when you're in once upon a time you're either in new york or boston when you're not in storybrook well to be fair sometimes there's like albuquerque uh sometimes there's toronto tallahassee i mean vancouver not toronto vancouver or minnesota there's some locations there as well though i feel like if you're in present day storybrook it's always boston or new york which as a northeasterner i really can't complain about so Let's talk about a rather interesting scene in terms of one of the qualms we've had about this show is, oh man, they're putting all these characters into little tiny corners in the town that we never hear from again. And only when we, they're, you know, convenient, do they pop up? The dwarves are a big example of that. Do you think this scene where they, everyone goes through the door NATO is an example of the writers trying to say, okay, well, that's the end of that chapter. All these characters are now through the door. They're back home and they all lived happily ever after. Um, I don't think so because, you know, story, like we, you know, storybook had existed for 28 years. So I think there's a lot of people who, uh, would want to potentially stay there. Um, 
you know, I think once you experience a modern day dishwasher, you know, you just never want to go back to the enchanted forest. Um, so I'm sure, I'm sure it was kind of up to different people's discretions as we see with Violet and her dad later on. Um, but I think the, uh, you know, the, the fact that there are a bunch of people who do want to go back to their other lives is fine, but I think it's still plenty open to you tap into new people. I could definitely see that where someone will say like, Oh, I thought you went through the door. Nope. Yeah, All right, well. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, because all we see are essentially the merry men, and then what they ask about Violet about later is that I guess all the camel oceans. Yeah. I'm assuming Guinevere included. Yeah. Um, I know we got uh, a question from our Once Upon a Recap fact checker about you know what happened to Guinevere. I unfortunately think we're going to have to put that in the category of Lily's dad and Philip's soul as something we'll just never find out. Yeah, we at least there's a a, a potential arrow pointing in what happened is she might have just gone back to Camelot too. Um, but yeah, I, I know that uh, what about the Camel Oceans was going to be something that we thought we might continually be saying a la, uh, you know, Philip soul. Um, but no, we, we kind of get the bow on that one. At least they all went back to Camelot. No, no more perpetual Renaissance festival in the outskirts of town. What did you think about this being a prospectively final scene we see of Roland where he get, he gives Zelina a fletching of Robin's arrow to give to Regina? I mean, I thought, again, as I said last week, seeing Roland standing there kind of broke me a little bit emotionally in terms of this kid just seems to have a horrible life now. Now it seems like he's pretty much just going to be raised in the forest by the Merry Men, so he'll kind of become his own Robin Hood. But also you have to think about the fact that this kid is actually taken pretty warmly to Zelina, despite the fact that she murdered his mother and then masqueraded as her. <laughs> yes. Um, oh, Roland. Um, I was wondering if he was going to get a speaking part in this episode and he kind of did. And I was trying to figure out, does he have an accent? He kind of has an accent. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the, I'm the cold hearted snake between the two of us. And so it didn't warm the cockles of my heart, but it was, I, I was fine with the scene. It was, it was, it was a little bit touching Zelina saying how, you know, this isn't, this isn't goodbye forever. We'll come visit you as soon as we can. So I, I it's, it seems to at least imply that, and again, talking about the prevalence of portals, it seems to imply that, uh, you know, Zelina and her has a, a prowess for portals that has not been seen before, which is going to make all future visits to and from other worlds a lot easier than usual. Yeah. She's, she's the go-to mermaid in this case, though her mermaid skills fail her almost immediately as Selena's told to close the portal and she can't. And instead this kind of watery, it's like the abyss tentacle type of thing. Yeah. Like, like the abyss or almost like the smoke monster envelops them all except presumably granny who happened to be standing there with the baby and throws them through the door. Though it turns out that these people did not land in the enchanted forest. Instead, it's a mysterious gray landscape that has a giant Victorian manor in the background. I was very intrigued by this because like, this is one of those things where for quite a while you're wondering where specifically they are. I mean, you might puzzle out a little bit early who they are kind of visiting, but you still aren't quite sure where they are. I was, uh, there were so many promos for Alice's adventures through the looking glass during this. I was really, really hoping that they weren't because uh, like that sort of starts off taking place in a manor house. Um, I was really hoping it wasn't going to be a direct tie into that because I thought that would have been kind of a little bit uh, <laughs> too on the nose. Sasha Baron Cohen appears. Oh God, yeah, I, I that would have just been too much for me. Um, and then throughout throughout 
this scene and then some of the other scenes i'm also wondering is like is it is i was kind of getting excited like is this like dr whale's world uh dr frankenstein uh but it's not black and white yes yeah, it's, it's not the land without color exactly uh so I, w- I was very intrigued about where this was and i kind of liked these the spooky look to it so i was looking forward to seeing what was going to unfold so meanwhile Let's talk about a new, speaking of new, new, we had a new landscape. Let's talk about a new form of magic that we see this episode where, you know, you, who needs a locator spell when you can use blood magic where Regina pricks Emma's finger. And since they are of the same blood, uh, they drip it onto a map and they just follow the blood trail to where it stops on the map. Oh, I was it kind of, and it was nice. It was almost like the little kind of Indiana Jones travel line going across the map to show where they have to go. Yeah, like um, the montage that you usually see. Exactly. Um, and they, we see them used again later. And that's why I was thinking that, you know, gold could maybe just use this too, unless it's not magic that's available to a dark one. Uh, I thought it was, I thought it was actually a nice uh, shortcut, especially um, now that they're in a world where magic can work. Um, again, the only issue I had was, you know, we, we, Emma sees Regina coming at her with a needle. Regina's like, you just have to trust me. It's like, no, she, she doesn't just have to trust you. Just, just tell her why you're about to prick her with the needle. You don't it have to been really funny. If Regina just put Emma under the sleeping curse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, no, this isn't like she asked you, why do you, if I was about to go at somebody with a needle to prick their finger, I would let them know exactly what I was going to do. And I thought it was unnecessary that she was like, no, you just have to trust me. I'm like, no, just tell her the plan and move on. No, it's, it's, this is definitely that case that you see on TV and movies of, you know, yeah. do first, ask questions later. Yeah. And again, I'm, I'm nitpicking something that is part and parcel to narrative and to story. And, it's like, and, I, and I really shouldn't be playing the, if this was real life, you would just tell her, because this isn't real life, it's just a story. So I apologize. <laughs> this was real life, and you were magic yes. trying to find the, per, the small boy who has the capacity to change your entire life thus far, who wants to destroy the entire spiritual foundation of the city that you were the mayor of. I can totally understand where you're coming from. Right. So it's like, it's, it's, I, I, I was fine with it. I was like, no, just, just tell her you guys have enough strife right now. Just, just tell her why you want to prick her finger with a needle. Let's go to New York here. Uh, first, did you like gold's temperament with the toll booth worker? <laughs> He kind of force choked the toll booth operator to get yeah, past which, him. Uh, pretty much saw my Uber driver do that yesterday. Oh, nice, nice. Um, I didn't think it was the most under the radar or efficient move. Um, it's not like he wiped the toll booth operator's memory that that happened, and I'm sure that there's cameras capturing the license plate numbers of various cars. So I, I, I thought, and again, I was expecting you know, toll booth operator to potentially report, uh, said car that this happened with. Um, so I, I didn't necessarily like, you know what, you know, conjure yourself some money and pay, and pay them at like, you're, you're, you're making this a lot harder than you need to Mr. Gold. I also love how he refuses to pay the $15 toll yet. He gives the bellhop a hundred dollar tip later on. Like you need to manage your budget, sir. <laughs> well, maybe the toll booth didn't take hundreds. <laughs> can you break a hundred no no uh i also i'll do my own nitpicking here from a new york perspective henry and violet why are you holding pizza like that nobody holds pizza like that henry how was he holding it i completely missed it he was holding it like a hot dog where he put a napkin like in the middle of it and was holding it by the napkin well doesn't that sop up the grease 
I, I guess so. I just I just do not hold pizza like that. Granted, I when I usually buy pizza, I usually consume it within the first like two minutes of holding it. Whereas they were savoring it a little bit more since they were taking in the sights. It was just something that yeah. definitely uh, you know you're not you're not in Storybrooke anymore, kid. I would have uh, so, I would have folded it in half and just kind of to make it so it'd be easy to hold on to and then eat it that way. Would that been appropriate? Yeah, I do that as well. Okay, good, good. So so Henry says, all right, now that we're in the city. Step number two, go to my dad's old apartment. My dad was trying to figure out a way to destroy magic, but he died before he could do so. Uh, So that seems to be their next plan of action. Meanwhile, in this new mysterious realm, it appears the wand is broken and uh, time is fleeting as they figure, oh no, if Storybrooke gets destroyed while we're here, we can be pretty much stuck here and not be able to go back. And here's where we run into our first interesting new character of the night, Kurt, a rather mousy looking gentleman who has an affinity for botany, it seems. Yeah, gardener. Looks like a big, a big gardener, a big garden on this, this, uh, somewhat, excuse me, dark estate. Yes, very much so. The only color that pops from it. But before they can really get a question out of him, first, he freaks out and tries to run away, but when they try to get some information out of him, uh, backup arrives in the form of a rather surly, larger orderly wearing a white coat who blasts them all and knocks them out. He tased them. He t- uh, he, I, it was a magical taser. At first I thought it was the apprentice's wand that he just got a hand of, but no, it seems like it looks like a, a magical taser. Did you also think this might be a Jedi from the way he was dressed? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was a Padawan. I was like, he's dressed like at a quick glance. It looks a lot like kind of some like Skywalker era robes there. Like I didn't, I didn't quite see that. Oh wait, later look, it's more of a uniform and it's got some like, you know, buttons and zippers like but it really looked like there was like a some sort of blaster involved and i was like they did not just introduce a jedi into once upon a time well, please you didn't tell realize, me they didn't what you really didn't realize kurt is that behind them was a giant swamp and they actually were in the dagobah system the entire time oh nice nice i could it, it parts of it would did look vaguely dagobah dagobah-esque so i would well, actually that. i feel like the most dagobah-esque part of this episode was when regina faced off with her evil self later on <laughs> <laughs> true there's no mist going on in a giant tree trunk. So uh, the, these heroes wake up in a giant cage that seem to be ha- have enchanted walls. And here's where we're introduced to our next interesting person of interest is a man dressed rather fondly, but has a large scar on the right side of his face. Who we'll, who we'll later find out that he is the warden of this institution. Yeah, I was uh, pleased to see this is a Aiden wait, the actor. And I know him from the U S version of being human where he plays a vampire. Um, and the only reason I bring that up is, uh, part of me was wondering during this entire scene, is he, is he supposed to be a vampire? Is he supposed to be Dracula? Which was partly fueled by my thinking, is this a whole, uh, uh, you know, classic monsters, Dr. Whale sort of thing. And I was like, and I thought it actually be very important if he are very unfortunate, if he had, if, uh, Aiden had kind of been now thrown into being typecast as a vampire. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm actually, so now that like the cat's out of the bag about who these two guys are, I know at least from what I found in the weeks leading up to it, there was information that came out about these two actors. Um, the big rumor was that these two guys were the brothers Grimm and that it was going to somehow deal with the author and the story again, though that turns out not to be the case, but yeah, uh, considering the landscape and the time period, I could totally see, you know, them being Lestat or something. Yeah, it was, and I was even going like full Dracula. Uh, the, I mean, the, 
I, and I was wondering, like, is this going to be a little bit steampunky? There's Victorian clothing. Uh, I, I was, I, again, I'm still, my, my intrigue is building here. Um, as plus we, we find that, uh, you know, he's, he, he knows that the dark one sent them. Um, and you know, gets rather cross and apparently is very, very strong, which is again, yes. further, further feeding my, uh, my vampire, uh, belief here. Poor hook, by the way, this guy literally goes to hell and back and now is just being, he almost dies again by being choked by the big, strong arm of Mr. Hyde. Yeah. Um, would this constitute as unfinished business? I was locked in a cage and I didn't get out. Okay. Unfinished business. <laughs> I got out of the cage. Now you're going to send to heaven. Now I want back. Okay. You're back again. Yeah. <laughs> this is like, this is like Dragon Ball Z logic. This is, right his, his, this is his save point right here. Exactly. <laughs> this is his, he hit his checkpoint quick save. Yep. So even though, as you said, Hyde is clearly affected by the news, he's not going to unlock the cage because as he tells himself, that's where the trouble really starts, which again, we don't really know the history between him and gold, but I'm assuming and we won't talk too much about future seasons. We'll save that for the feedback show. But I feel like something involved in their past is something like Rumpelstiltskin. He yeah. captured gold at some point and then he let gold go because he thought he could trust him. And maybe gold is the one who helped spur the whole Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing along. Potentially, because we did see that um, that Rumpelstiltskin was uh, able to visit Dr. Whale's world. Um, <laughs> Whale's world. <laughs> Party time. <laughs> Electricity. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's going to be our quarter point. Hashtag. hashtag. <laughs> if you made it this far in the podcast, hashtag Whale's world. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yes. Yeah, sorry. What were you saying? <laughs> <laughs> you're saying that that um the fact that rumpelstiltskin was able to visit the black and white world of dr whale uh that it's completely possible that uh he was able to travel to whatever world hyde had resided in assuming there was potentially a world before this world um so uh, it's but I, you something i hadn't thought about you raise a very good point is we don't really know what the history is between these two just that there is a history Mm -hmm. which i'm assuming is a big seed that they're planning to plant and germinate over the course of these next few months let's talk about this emma regina scene because i feel like this was like one of the big crucial scenes of the episode it was a long scene it's a it's a (laughs) long not a bad bad scene it was a good scene yeah so before we get to the regina of it all i do want to bring up this whole idea where First, Emma tries to, I think, like lighten the the tension a little bit by talking about how only you is Henry and Violet's song and how, you know, they're getting along pretty well. Regina finds a Robin Hood book and finds a letter written in there. Regina accuses Emma of writing the letter. I was a little confused. Had she written the letter to make Regina feel better or was it just did it just happened to be a letter that Robin had written? I didn't catch that. That's not how I, I didn't inter- pick up that at all. Um, I It sounded like it was Henry's book and he had left it here uh, at some point or that she had got uh, the, 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 yeah, I didn't know. I didn't tie. I, I took this to be, this was, this was a book that hood had that, that they had gotten hood. Uh, mm-hmm. That was a, you know, tales of stories from his realm. And that it was just a letter that, that he had written to, it was a letter that he had written to Regina, but just never had actually gotten around to mailing. That's all. The that's all I yeah. took it as. 
I mean, the only reason I, I thought otherwise is because I don't want to spoil season two of Last Man on Earth, but it pretty much uses this this trope of like the dead person reading the letter in a voiceover as someone is reading it over, and then that turned out to be a forgery. So I thought that maybe Emma really did make it up to make Regina feel better, but I'll give her the benefit of the doubt here. And I also like this season has all been about throwbacks here. And I don't know if you remember, Kurt, but Emma used a very similar device uh, here to, you know, get Henry's browsing data as she did to get restore his emails in the pilot episode. She's a master hacker. Yeah. She's in F society next season. Hmm. Don't know what that is. Oh, <laughs> uh, Kurt, add Mr. Robot to your list. I know. I'm, I'm watching it right now. I have disc two of season one. I've only watched the first three episodes. Is that, did I miss something? Is that, yeah, the, is that the name of the hacker group? Yes, it is. Oh, we didn't realize that. It's been a while since I've seen an episode. That's all right. <laughs> now, now I've given you a key piece of information that you and everyone out there can delve into Mr. Okay. Robot and our Mr. Robot coverage here on post show recaps. So this is Regina's big dissertation about herself she goes into the as you said this kind of very long speech about how as much as she doesn't want to admit it the evil queen has always been in her trying to get out as we said before emma went up to the precipice of darkness and took a step back regina like careened over the cliff and was consumed by it and now she sees her conundrum is basically every time i try to do good i end up hurting someone so right now i'd rather be evil to ironically not hurt the people around me and and it was it's interesting because it it does actually go back to like the decision that Emma was trying to make at the beginning of the episode of like you know do I you know let do we just go in with Hook do I let her know and let her know and and you know she's like I'm sorry that I was uh, you know can, you know maybe overly concerned about how you'd respond to Hook and Regina's like no I actually did want to tear his to tear his his heart out that it was like like we we learn that all these times when we think Regina has been easily going along with the heroes and potentially making the quote unquote right or good decisions, it's actually probably been much more of an internal struggle than she has let on to her friends, her family, to us, the viewers. Um, so I thought that was really, really, really interesting. And even Emma tries to commiserate saying, no, I get it. I was dark too. It was like, no, you, you dab, you dabbled in college. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're not, you're not really, really dark. Uh, but and, and, you only, and you only went dark to, <laughs> for a good reason to say, Oh, I love this guy and he's dying. Right. So now I'm going to go dark as a result. Right. And, and I didn't see it so much as, and, and this again, it was just my interpretation to me. It, it was, it was more, I'm stuck in, you know, stuck in the middle with you, stuck in the middle with me. Um, like if I choose to give into the darkness, then I lose everybody who cares for me, my friends, my family. Um, if I choose to keep fighting toward the light, I'm doomed never to be happy. And I guess, and I didn't see it as like, I end up hurting those around me, but I think it's probably just by association. It's like, you know, if I'm never allowed to be happy or, uh, you know, anybody that I fall in love with, something is probably going to happen to them because I can't get happiness. They, you know, it could just as easily be that, um, they end up finding happiness elsewhere. And then she's continued to, she's continue, uh, continually going to be doomed to just never finding it. But sometimes it's going to bring other people down, uh, with her. So I, yeah. Yeah. 
I'm I'm just really proud of these writers because one of the fears that we had last episode was, and it was vocalized by Emma at the beginning of this episode, was, oh no, Robin's dead. Will Regina just go back to her being in, se- in season one and part of season two? Sort of like, unfortunately, what we saw with Gold in the middle of the season where all this work was being given towards him being a hero. And then he says, no, I like the, the power better and takes it, which he'll actually talk to Regina about later on in this episode. But no, they chose not to do that. And they really acknowledged, as you said, the elephant in the room that we thought for this whole time for the past like three seasons that Regina is okay and she is really not okay she's been losing people around her left and right and she still feels a good amount of guilt for the stuff that she's done before and it's understandable usually as much as you know Roland might want to forgive Zelina usually you don't forgive yourself that much for all the bad stuff you've done in your life and I think that's remarkable character work I thought Lana Perea did a great job of you know representing this as well so I thought this was an extremely strong scene for the character and really, again, just like vocalized everything we know about this character from the past three years of the show. I agree completely. I thought it was a very powerful, uh, powerful scene. Um, it was, it was a little hard, I think for them to move on to the story from it. Cause I think that was like the only, the only awkward part was up. Oh, the search is done. He's at the midtown library. <laughs> let's, let's go. Um, but yeah, I, but which, it, which isn't a, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't call it, the, we don't call it the midtown library, or at least I don't, we you call it, you know, the public library on, I don't know, and near Bryant park. Cause I'm assuming that's the one that they went to. So I guess they tried to remain as generic as possible. Right. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was a very good scene. And, and, and part of me, and part of me was like wondering, Emmy, but I'm like, I don't, I, I, I doubt it. I doubt it too. uh, In my opinion, too late in the show's run for an Emmy. And unfortunately, while once upon a time has a very loyal fan base, ourselves included, I don't know if the show is enough on the map that it would warrant an an Emmy nomination. And and I think it's more in terms of, um, I, I think where my mind was trying to go was like, if you held, you know, we have like the Throners for the Game of Thrones coverage. Like if we had a Oncers that uh, and, and covered all five seasons, <laughs> the that, Henrys, the Henho, <laughs> uh, that this would potentially be a, a you know quote unquote Oncer winning moment. Um, so yeah, it was good. It was good. Uh, but we did have to. But we did have to. Uh, and you know, Gold got to hear it all too. Yeah, <laughs> that's the upside. This dude has like just great eavesdropping skills considering that. Oh, right. may, and maybe he either he was about to walk in and he heard their voices. Maybe he knew they were there and poof there using his magical perceiving skills. But yeah, it seems like he knows not only what Regina is going through, but also where Henry is. So he'll be able to get to them first. Yes. The, at the, the rare reading room of the library, which nobody has used in ages. Yeah. The triple R uh, ironically enough, actually, I do believe that there was like a couple of nights in the rare reading room in the, the New York public library in Midtown where they had like a, a sleepover slash like scavenger hunt in there. So it is, a, it is a, it's not as rarely used as that woman may make you believe. Yeah. It looked a little, don't know if it was the same sets that was just like switched around a little bit. Remind me a little bit of the, the main uh, book room in the mansion. Oh yeah, I could see that. I mean, I mean, I'm assuming it's a different room, yeah. but it definitely had that sort of feel to it as well. As much as it, <laughs> it, it, Kurt, that's because there were books there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's not just books, though. I mean, the the Sorcerer's Mansion was a big 
consortium of magical objects and this kind of is too i mean the yeah. grail's there these storybooks are there <laughs> yeah the unholy grail yes the unholy <laughs> grail uh the nega grail if you will but before we get to that henry finds these other storybooks in the room that look just like the ones that he has but they show stories that he doesn't know about and again i don't want to talk too too much about season six but i was getting my engine real revved up when i'm seeing things like don quixote and paul bunyan mm-hmm. and of course the the jekyll and hyde house that we'll dive into mm-hmm. then if, if we're if we're to link those together that makes me really excited for next season i agree a hundred hundred and thirty percent it's i mean it's it's good as much as i love these main characters i like the the original thing that brought me in on the show in the first place was okay what does snow white look like in our world what does jiminy cricket look like in our world and going back to that idea after a few seasons of going off the path i feel like is a good idea in general yeah and we'll we'll get a little bit then once we kind of understand a little bit more where uh team charming is at the we the, these things start to connect the dots a little bit Definitely. So let's talk about that. Uh, the groundskeeper comes back uh, while Hook is still recovering from his strangulation. Uh, and he says, you know, hey, I couldn't help you the last time because the warden was watching, but I can help you now. And says, all right, well, here's the deal. I'll fix it in my lab, but you have to give me the wand. Uh, David and pretty much everyone else says no, but Snow takes charge here. Snow is probably the main the leader i would say of this expedition here in that she's the one that says it's the only plan that we've got and so they relent and give him the wand and she was also the one that talked hide down a bit when he was choking uh when he was choking uh hook, hook. so yeah. no, I, i'd have to agree there <laughs> that sounds like a euphemism yeah side note at the beginning of the scene you know david destroys the bench in their little prison cell and to create a weapon it looked an awful lot like a wooden stake this did not help my think <laughs> my thinking that there's a vampire involvement in this part of the story and in, in your opinion would once upon a time have jumped the shark if vampires made their way into the show no no i don't um because I, again i was thinking that um uh vampires yes dracula as a character no and which is which is where i which which is where i thought we were going um and again i would have been felt very it's like he's already played a vampire don't do this to the guy um he's not that not that he's that (laughs) far removed to be completely honest but um, he did look very pale yeah yes he did yes he did so uh but no it was yeah and we learned that the we learned that the uh taser jedi uh it was actually uh the the uh, in orderly named pool um and this is all i could do to not like immediately pause and search pool and see what kind of character reference that was because i really kind of wanted to have it revealed to me as i was watching who this was the only one i could think of was jane pool from game of thrones but that's the only thing i can think of i was thinking key and pool i just didn't think that was right that's key and peel <laughs> oh oops so <laughs> <laughs> that's probably why your surge ended up with uh with not so many results as you once thought <laughs> i'm so cool and with it <laughs> yeah to watch how i met your mother then mr robot and then key and peel or key and pool as you call it wasn't mrs pool like the uh the head uh housekeeper in jane Eyre? I, I, that's something that I need to read personally. Maybe I'll ask my, my wife's a big, uh, my big Jane Austen, Jane Eyre type of person. So I'll ask her about that <laughs> later. I'll fact check on that. Please do. Uh, l- 
let's talk Nega Grail here, Kurt. So Violet finds the what looks like the Holy Grail in one of these display cases that is pretty much jet black. And so the assumption that they make is, okay, this is a twin of the Holy Grail. And since the Holy Grail was known as the source of all magic, you know, this is the Alpha and the Omega one cannot live without the other. This must be the thing that could end magic. It's quite a leap in logic, young Violet, but you happen to be right. <laughs> That's right. No, very, I like it. I completely agree that it's a little, you can't, what, it, what would you like? If you happen to find one in like an oh. iHeart New York store on the street, you could be like, well, this must be the one too. They must be triplets. I don't know if you've seen the great uh, cult movie of the late seventies, early eighties, midnight madness. I have not. Uh, oh, uh, it, it involves kind of a, a treasure hunt, scavenger hunt, like clue to clue around the LA area with different teams. And I think the most uttered line in the entire movie is wait, don't you see as they solve something? And this was like a wait, don't you see moment? Um, and I was like, wait, that's kind of a stretch on how you got that. Is that actually right? And okay, I guess it is. <laughs> Do, does she deserve a place on the CSI Storybrook team? Ooh, I don't think that, um, Gosh, it's kind of outcomes based uh, guesswork here. Yeah, results results oriented behavior. That's yeah. exactly what I was trying to say. Results oriented behavior. <laughs> you're, you're using a lot of synonyms, so I think we matched up. The, you when you when you jumped out at me, you took all the synonyms away from me. <laughs> I, I'm like the worst thesaurus ever. Um, yeah, gosh, would she? This is like my favorite question of the entire episode so far. Would you put Violet on the CSI storybook <laughs> team based on how she concludes that this, I don't know. It's like, you know, even a stop clock is right twice a day. So oh, you got that one, right? Thank you. <laughs> even to say a time and halted time <laughs> vessel is verified only twice in a 24 hour period. <laughs> um, so, you know what? It's like, I think she warrants consideration, but she still has to prove herself. Well, she doesn't prove herself in the uh, fighting aspect, at least as Henry decides, okay, we can do this, but let's not do it here in the middle of a public library. So he packs the grail away in his backpack, which is good because gold appears just in time to knock them out and take the crystal only. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Good for gold for showing restraint. Well, depending on what you feel about Henry. Uh, but in my book, uh, at least he showed restraint here. So he's not, you know, fully evil. He's just the dark one. <laughs> I mean, he, no, he wasn't like torturing them to get information out of them. It just seemed, no. I mean, he just, well, he could have wa- ju- just snapped their necks and like taken the crystal, but that would have been awfully dark. <laughs> or maybe he got a notification from his hotel that his room was finally available. So he, didn't, he needed to get there post haste. <laughs> Oh, New York, you, <laughs> you and your room is available. Text messages. <laughs> we, we live in a, such a, we're, we're always on the go, Kurt. We need to, we need to hop on any sort of opportunity. So the groundskeeper is in the lab with the wand. He's able to fuse the two parts together when the orderly bursts in. And if you didn't know by now, it's very prevalent here as he puts him in a headlock, grabs a blue potion and says, it's time to see the warden and pours the blue potion down his throat. Then the groundskeeper begins to thrash and glow almost like he was uh, Ted from Heroes, the nuclear man, and he turns into the warden. And as a cherry on top of this Sunday, they even say nobody hurts Dr. Jekyll. So it seems like we have indeed Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in this episode. 
I was very pleasantly surprised. I, I, I definitely was surprised. I, again, my mind was much, maybe because I was already like, I was trying to look for evidence that this was not vampire. Um, but I wasn't, I, I did not land, land on uh, Jekyll and Hyde. Like I know Becca did and on Twitter, she was tweeting us. Um, so this was to me, this was a nice surprise moment. Yeah. And I was I happy agree. with it. I was, I was happy. And it also, because you know, it's again, it's it between seeing Gulliver and Don Quixote and uh, Paul Bunyan in that other story book. And now we've got, again, a couple characters who are not traditional um, Disney fairy tale characters or Disney story characters. Um, uh, it, it was, it was nice to see a, a branch out there. Yeah, we're going. It seems like we're going to like tales of the public domain, which I'm happy yeah. about because we really haven't traipsed that territory since Doctor Whale, all the way back in seasons two and three. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So it's it's remind and it, it parts of this started to remind me of the most recent season of the Librarians on TNT uh, in terms of the the use of magic there, and Moriarty becomes a character who's brought into the real world, and uh, so it, this was this was an interesting. An interesting twist. I was like, I was like, oh, tell me more. Let's see more. Let's do this. Well, and it seems like Hyde himself has a sort of master plan. And you would think, at least the way we're used to seeing Jekyll and Hyde, is that Jekyll is the smart one, and Hyde is almost the brutish murderer one. <laughs> and but Hyde seems to kind of have his own agenda here, where he he says like, okay, the orderly says, okay, we can, we should just kill the prisoners. And Hyde says, no, wait. They talk about this place called Storybrook. We can actually go there. This could be our new home. And you you want you ask yourself why. And then we get a pan out where we see first this Zeppelin that is, was the graphic in the uh, opening image, which we really hadn't seen before. But we see this really weird CGI village complete with a bunch of houses situated on like Green Hill Zone from Sonic the Hedgehog, a big giant grass loop. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's. I, I was really. I actually watched this this scene a a couple times. I was because I was curious, like what they were trying to set up for us. Because I I thought that it was like, is this a steampunk world? It reminded me a little bit of 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 Bioshock Infinite, the video game. Uh, just mm-hmm. maybe yeah, Rapture. Air. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was um um Columbia. Oh, Columbia. That's what it was. Rapture was the first two. Yeah, and it was a little bit more of the airships, but it seemed again the kind of the, the turn of the uh, industrial revolution. And um, I don't, I don't know. So I was really kind of curious what was going on here because it didn't seem like this bleak manor house. Uh, uh, environment extended to the entire world. It seemed like it was a little bit more of a mishmash. So I was definitely curious to learn more. What if they were on the floating city that the Avengers brought up in Ultron? Synergy, uh, synergy, synergy. Um, yeah, no. Um, but yeah. So it's like, yes, let, let's, let's learn more. And cause we, we do hear that, uh, hides like we've been trapped in this land for too long. um, it's okay. So he's a visitor here. Again, we know that he, and he's met gold somewhere else. We, I don't know where maybe Hyde's original land was Wales world. Uh, you know, maybe he was originally from this black and white horror world, which I think would be really interesting to see if that ends up being part well, we'll talk about that when we get to season six. Um, yeah, would you say that Hyde is not worthy for Wales world? <laughs> if this ends up, if this ends up being a legitimate theory, we're going to have so much fun with season six. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So Emma and Regina find uh, Violet and Henry knocked out in the library. Henry comes to and explains what happened, though he neglects to mention the entire thing about the Grail, presumably because he's still kind of out on his own. They try to use the blood magic again, but finds that the trail has run dry, and they assume that that's because the magic has now stopped working. And we cut to like a midnight cowboy esque shot of gold walking through the streets of new york <laughs> yeah although we don't really they, they think something must have happened to the crystal but we don't really get a sense that something's happened to the crystal like we didn't get an explanatory shot as to why the magic wasn't working which which yeah, was maybe, which which there's like the only thing that just wasn't a payoff yet. Maybe maybe it's because again they didn't believe in it since they didn't have the crystal on them. The crystal was more of like a psychosomatic device that made them thought they had magic when they were holding on to it. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm I'm still not buying that the belief became an issue until after the magic was sucked away by the Grail. I I, I yeah I'm not. Because again, there was there was no belief in the Boston bus station. Uh, that wasn't a factor. So many bees. Yeah. Hey, um. But yeah, it's but you know, gold's gold's got the crystal, and we're not quite sure what he's going to be doing at this hotel. Uh, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about there's the, the scene that comes up in the in the hotel is uh, <laughs> it's rather rather lurid for a family show to say the least. But meanwhile, uh, gold's hotel fun is going to be ruined as uh, Hyde summons a portal using the wand, and he he very just generically explains, "I'm going to take something that will." giving me all the power we need. Meanwhile, Gold is talking to the bell box, which happens to be sitting on the bed that, you know, when you wake up, it'll all be done. This will all make sense. I can show you the world shining, shimmering, splendid. Uh, but then things start shaking and the box just disappears through the portal. There's actually a match. A ding, ding, ding on that one. I, I was thinking a whole new world as well. When he yeah, was kind of, perfect. Yeah. When he was, he was monologuing or soliloquizing to the, to the box. Um, yeah. Did I was thinking he was going after the crystal, but he was going after bell. Yeah, that, I that, guess so. that, that surprised me because I think he's talking about I'm going to take something to give us all the power we need so far up to this point. We've been led to think that the crystal was the most powerful thing that there that there's once. So of course, he's going after the crystal. But it turns out that when you know, when snow revealed to hide that hook is in love and, uh, you know, stole this, you know, he's doing this to retrieve that he one he loves. I think, you know, we find out that we don't know Hyde is going to use gold's one true love as the leverage over him that's the power that he has yeah and that shows maybe the danger of hide because i feel like that's almost a very gold-esque thing to do is to not go for the power but to go for the emotional manipulation tool so again we don't know too too much about hide and we're about to jump into the second hour here where we'll see a little bit more of him but he he's looking scarier and scarier as the minutes progress yeah and we don't know a lot about him other than the fact that he i'd say uh three things uh very very strong uh uh two number two uh uh probably not mentally uh stable um and then three uh kind of on the evil side of the spectrum (laughs) a tiny bit tiny bit bit. i mean the the name doesn't help (laughs) wait he's not hiding from people (laughs) oh boy i'm gonna need a tornado to blow that one away um, I also want to point out just before we jump into the second episode here, did you notice the string music during this last scene? Cause I thought it was beautiful. I did not, but I'm doing like a lot of pausing, taking notes, pausing, taking notes. So I, so sometimes I'll miss things like that. 
Yeah, and I think actually someone, one of the the, the musician who played the song uh, for the orchestra in Once Upon a Time, like posted a video of her playing it. It's a really pretty solo, so I'd recommend checking it out. Let's jump into episode 23, an untold story where Jekyll wakes up in a straitjacket with a note just simply reading, you almost got free, sorry it didn't work out, but Jekyll seems to think that he can pull over one on Hyde. Yes, when I think is quite, in fact, the opposite. Well, so the (laughs) which which we find, which we find. Yeah. Well, so I guess the question is with this whole thing, like we asked before about when did gold plan, however many steps ahead, are we to assume that Hyde wanted Jekyll to have the, to like have the heroes escape and then go to the apartment and then finalize the red serum only because Poole was faking being drunk on whiskey. So that's, I think our, our main clue that this was a, all a, an elaborate ruse. That makes sense because I guess Hyde's worst weakness is essentially the fact that he can turn back into Jekyll at any moment. If he's allowed to be an entirely different identity on his own, then he's not necessarily immortal, but he's much more powerful in that regard because he's not only out for like two hours of the day. Yeah, it's basically pools up or sorry, Dr. Jekyll is up to something. The only way for Hyde to find out is to have Poole follow Jekyll and then administer the potion uh, once they get there. So they have to get the key from pool, right? Yes. Ah, did I see what you did there? <laughs> yeah. So maybe it was, maybe that was a subliminal messaging that was put into your head. Yes. Uh, so yeah, they're, they're off to see the warden, the wonderful mm-hmm. warden of wherever they are right now. Uh, but this is where Jekyll explains that this is sort of a refugee camp, if you will, of people from all worlds called the land of untold stories, which again, not to talk too much about season six, but if Hyde's words are to be believed and these people are get, being brought over to Storybrooke, this just makes me really, really excited for what's to come. Yeah. Lots of, lots of potential. Um, I think when, when uh, Snow White referred to it as a kind of a mishmash of all the realms, uh, then uh, I was like, ooh, ooh, interesting. Yeah, which is, again, the original concept behind the show that I really wanted to see. So right. we talked this entire half season about it going back to its roots. If they're really going back to its core concepts in the next season, I feel like it definitely will have that going for it. So let's let's get to this uh, rather chippy bellhop who ushers in the first gold scene of this second hour, listening to Jesse's girl, some great Rick Springfield uh, as he approaches the precariously glowing door. Yeah. Uh, Hmm. He, he, you know, he goes through with his job. He, he moves forward (laughs) and he should because he gets a hundred dollar tip out of it. Yeah. Um, but that's not where I thought the scene was going to necessarily go, but this is, I think this is the writers completely, uh, playing with us and toying with us, which I thought was fun. Yeah. It's, it's one of those scenes where like in a, in a movie where it'll be like a monster going through town and then they run into a normal person and then like something comedic happens. I'm for some reason, the movie that pops out of my head is like Jurassic park (laughs) two. That was quite a comedy actually. Oh yes. Uh, Unintentionally. So, I mean like the, you think we're supposed to think the entire time the bellhop's in trouble. The, the, this, this guy is not going to get out of the room alive. Like he's, he, he brings the, a steak instead of a spaghetti bolognese. And he's like, that's okay. Uh, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't need that. And, and, and I think we're, I believe that we were supposed to be led to believe that, uh, he needed the bellhop for something that the bellhop was actually what was needed as a sacrifice of some sort. Uh, but he just needed the silver platter. So I, I, that's the road I think we were being led down. I don't know if you were led down that road as well, but I think that was where I, we were supposed to be led down. And I was kind of tickled that I did go down that road and 
the bellhop ended up finding out of this $100 richer. No, we had that trope sold up to us on a silver platter, but it turned out to not be the meal that we <sighs> thought it was going to be. Sterling <laughs> joke there, Mike. Thank you. Uh, I mean, uh, Gold should have kept that $100, though, because I feel like it's going to go to his hotel bill, because dude just wrote all sorts of runes around that table. Yeah, but maybe it'll come off. I'm not sure what it was what it was written in. You think it was in, like, sidewalk chalk? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Gold... Again, in the we've, we haven't talked in a while about the cable version of Once Upon a Time, but I feel like here are the line things might get messy here and finishing off with a sign of the do not st- disturb sign hanging on the door would play very differently in that version. <laughs> oh, full bloom. <laughs> uh, it happened. It, we're, we're like what? We're basically an hour and a half in and that took me that long. I'm rather proud of myself. Yes, the, you did good. The, 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 my, my own personal Mr. Hyde did not come out. <laughs> true maybe now i just realized full bloom is the mr hyde of me yes it is yes it is <laughs> so regina emma henry and violet all see the magic emanating from gold's building because how can you not it's a giant purple cloud um and so it was, a, it was get, a little ghostbustery oh it, definitely yeah. <laughs> i was imagining them having to climb what like 70 flights of stairs getting up there yeah. where do so, these em- where do these stairs go they, <laughs> they go up <laughs> Suddenly, Emma gets a text from Granny, though, about what happened to everyone else. Regina's ready to go in gangbusters, but Emma advises, okay, we need a plan. And so the plan is for Regina to come in and sort of fake allying with gold while Emma sneaks in to grab the crystal. This was very similar to Cora's plan Mm -hmm. to distract Zelina while Regina snuck in and poisoned some water. Regina, how did you think this plan would work? It didn't work like two days ago. And the exact same thing happens. Both Zelina and Gold knew exactly what was going on the entire time. <laughs> I don't know. These people sometimes. These people. But I think the, mo- the more important facet of this scene is Gold sitting down with, with Regina. And you can wonder whether or not this was... There was whether there was it was veritable or not what Gold was telling her. But he said, you know, you c- really can't compartmentalize your darkness. You know, I try to... And it didn't work for me. The only thing you can really do is embrace your darkness because Regina says like, I want to work with you. I was your best student. And he says, no, your best, my, my best student was the evil queen and you're no longer her. Yeah. But it, yeah, it, it, like Regina says, like I'm ready to let that evil queen back out, but I think there's still this acknowledgement that you're not her. And and again, Gold also has the benefit of having likely heard this part of the conversation back in Neil's apartment when he was eavesdropping on them to know yeah. where exactly she stands mentally on this whole thing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so let's go back to the Jekyll action here. Uh, so they go to Jekyll's apartment, which is rather dusty, which makes sense considering that he's probably lived at that insane asylum for a, a long time. Uh, he finally has a potion to separate the good from the evil. And the final ingredient was the flowers that he was clipping when they first met. Mm-hmm. So he injects himself with the red stuff and the, but before he he can inject himself, the orderly comes in and forces Jekyll to transform again into Hyde and snow. Once again, the most perceptive one of the group immediately realizes what story they're in. Yeah. Uh, she's, she's read this one. Um, I, you know, and later on, yeah, we find we find that it's something that has to be injected. I would have just assumed you had to drink it. I mean, the blue stuff you have to drink. Why is it you have to inject the red stuff? I, don't I guess know. the re- the red stuff has to maybe because it's involves like a physical part of yourself separating. It needs to go directly into the blood rather than just being digested. 
I don't know. Four out of five doctors. I don't know if they recommend that. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe, you know, the red stuff is, is the hardcore yeah. stuff. It's the heroin compared to the alcohol, of the blue stuff. Yeah. But they usually snow figures out pretty quickly what story they're in and they, you know, they try to get out of there. Interestingly, as Zelina throws some magic at Hyde and he just seems to kind of, you know, absorb it. Yeah. yeah. Re- relish in it. And then, um, but, uh, you know, he lets everybody go, you know, pool is about to tase everybody. And, and he's like, no, 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 uh, you know, stay with you. Let, let, let them go. Um, which makes me wonder again, I'm, I'm not terribly familiar with the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, uh, and if I didn't actually look up if pool is actually a character in that, but like, at least in the context of this story, uh, what is pool's incentive? Maybe this is something we will get in season six. What is pool's incentive to, uh, be helping Mr. Hyde and not Dr. Jekyll. It seemed yeah. like any, uh, uh, normal, uh, uh, plain old vanilla person, uh, pick a person off the street. They think if you had the choice of helping one of these two people, you'd probably want to help Dr. Jekyll. So what is, what is Poole's backstory for why he is now choosing Mr. Hyde? Is there something being held over him? Uh, blah, 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 blah. So that's something yeah. I'm kind of interested in. I don't know if we'll get it, but what, why is Poole helping Hyde instead of Jekyll? My leading theory is the sands of Avalon. Whenever a character does something that you doesn't make sense, just say they were hypnotized by the sands of Avalon at this point. Okay, how about it? <laughs> for now, that's you know that's the only that's the leading theory for right now. So as we talked about before, Emma gets busted immediately for trying to get the crystal. Um, and Gold says, "Yeah, we knew I knew you were lying, Regina, but I need to get you in here so I could use her, your hair to use blood magic for a spell." But before he can do anything, Henry and Violet come in, and even though he's sort of shoot away by saying oh there's nothing you can do he can he pulls out his vacuuming grail and essentially sucks the magic <laughs> out of the crystal and out of the hair and basically out of the room and presumably the entire world yeah it's kind of a uh oops and then like pause i destroyed magic <laughs> <laughs> and this was the big thing from the uh the next time on which i think definitely led to us believing that henry was going to become a bigger part of this episode but yeah i mean henry should sound a little prouder because that was the big thing that he was had been going for the past hour, 15 minutes. Good on you kid. You actually accomplished your goal. Yeah. He, um, he, he can check that off the bucket list. <laughs> yes, exactly. God, God magic destroyed, but he, I don't know if you immediately undo that, do you put it back on the bucket list or once it's done, it's off the bucket list. And then you add, um, reinstate magic immediately. <laughs> Wow, this bucket list is just growing and shrinking at the same time. Much like Jekyll and Hyde, as they separate here, the two men finally get to meet face-to-face, which I think is a really cool idea. Uh, Hyde, you know, snides that he's more disappointing and weak in person, um, and Hyde decides to, once again, choke the living life out of Jekyll. But the heroes came back. Uh, Hook stabs him in the back while Zelina blasts Pool away. Uh, no more time in the pool adult swim only and it looks like Hyde is going to kill them all until snow gets the taser don't tase me like, don't tase me snow uh there we go ding 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 perfect this has just been a pun filled podcast i'm so happy about that uh but yeah so it appears that a hook in the back will only make him stumble whereas tasing will knock him out for a good long while yeah which is interesting it like, makes me wonder if the uh, because I was, I was trying to go down some sort of uh, theoretical framework of did 
Jekyll, in fact, create the taser and give it to Poole so that it's actually is one of Hyde's weaknesses. Like, uh, we don't know at this point. Let's be completely honest. Yeah, we, 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 we met these guys an hour ago. Yeah. Like, I'm, I don't know really anything yeah. about them except for the fact that they were once one guy yeah. and now they're two. Although I, I did do a, uh, a, a, a quick look online and Mr. Poole in the story of uh, Jekyll and Hyde is Jekyll's butler. Uh, he's a loyal servant, having worked with the doctor for 20 years. His concern for his master eventually drives him to seek help when he become convinced that something has happened to Jekyll. So, he, so in the story, Poole is actually on Jekyll's side. And he was great in Keanu. <laughs> I'm not going to let that go. <laughs> <laughs> Key and Poole. <laughs> oh, I love it. So Gold has to kind of be the bearer of bad news and as Henry is reveling in his glory of getting rid of magic and saying that, well, guess what? Bell happened, what I was using magic for happened to, would have also probably saved your family at the same time. So now everyone's screwed. Henry's clearly guilt-stricken, so he runs out. Uh, this is when Gold reveals, as we talked about before, like, hey, uh, I was kind of fibbing a little bit when I said that Storybook would might not do well without magic. It's going to be fine for a little bit. Uh, and they say, you know, he I, he knows a magic a place where magic is still exists, and they say, well, that that you know, magic still isn't here. And he goes, well, it is, and it isn't, which is like such a grinder esque type of line. If you've seen that show, Kurt, <laughs> I love the grinder. But but what if it isn't? <laughs> no, he's got a point, Dad. Uh, <laughs> the uh, I, I not only the, well, a couple of things here. I, I also like his. Yeah, it survived twenty eight years without magic. It'll be fine for a few more. It's whatever. Um, yeah, exactly. But it's still good. <laughs> I think. I think we've talked about in the past how technically gold slash the dark one has never really lied or at least had to lie. He's manipulated. He's like a Pax bro. Uh, he, <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Does that gold volunteer said to become the dark one? <laughs> he, 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 the way he uses words, <laughs> but I mean, I cannot believe you made that comparison, <laughs> but, uh, but I'm being serious is that like, we've discussed in the past how he's usually like we've discussed in the past, how gold has always told the truth. It's just that he's manipulated people through their own desires. And again, we can fact check whether or not you know, there's been times where, where gold has lied or not, but it seems there's been a couple of things that have been a little, um, non gold, non dark one for me. It seems like he's always manipulating people to get more power, but has never really had to lie to do so here. He lies to the point where he seems like he's just about to like, you know, cast the fireball and, you know, destroy Emma and Regina with magic. He's never really just kind of, uh, seemingly just kind of destroyed people when they've been useless to him. Um, I, I don't know. There are a couple of un- dark one like things that he seemed to be uh starting to go down the road of um but i i, I found so I've, i was actually a little bit surprised to hear that he had lied because it seems like he's always truthful or mostly truthful but this was a blatant lie but like i said I, di- I did like his it's it's been 28 years without magic it'll be fine for a few more <laughs> I'm, we might have to do some fact checking on gold has never lied because yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. wasn't that a big comp- component of him and his and Bell's relationship was, Oh yeah, Bell, here's the dagger. Oh wait, no, it's not really the dagger. Oh, yeah, Bell, true. I'm not the dark one again. Oh wait, I am the dark one again. So I feel like there might've been some times where he did lie. I'll have to call. I'm going to be the Cassandra to call him out on that. <laughs> it's just the way he's used the words. 
god. But like in in terms of like someone point blank asking him a question, it, more often than not, he's told the truth, and 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 I think. Again, that's far more often than not telling the truth is a far, far cry from he's never lied. But at least it's been one of the things that I've always kind of like, at least in my mental picture of the dark one, it's been he's never really had to lie. He's done it. Uh, he's he's got his way through manipulating people and their own desires and kind of gotten people to get the better of themselves. Um, but no, you're right. He he's, he's definitely lied. So it's just, to me, that's just a little, there's such a straightforward falsehood, uh, when like direct question lie seems a little bit counter to his normal, uh, 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 uh standard operating procedure. So let's go to the fountain here as Em and Henry. Kind <laughs> no, of have, let's not. Let's really, well, really no, not. Let's, we won't go. The, the first time is rather tame. Henry's just having oh, a little bit of a fit. Okay. We're not, we're not at that scene that I'm sure we'll, we'll dig into in a little bit, but they bring up, they sort of exposit that this is where, when they were living in New York during the middle, that one random episode of season three, uh, that this is where Henry used to go when he was, upset um and he henry brings up that how when we were in new york city we were happy because magic didn't exist and we couldn't remember it which again is sort of the impetus behind him doing what he did but now he's pissed because as a result of his actions now they might not see like half their family ever again yeah it's um it's he he's he's making some more points here that he hadn't made before um uh I I think the thing that threw me was like Emma complete, continually pushing him to like make a wish in the fountain. <laughs> like this is really not the time, Emma. <laughs> yeah, I mean, here's I don't a, know. Maybe here's a well, penny. Em- here's a penny. Well, post season one, Emma totally believes in any sort of wishing and magic now. So maybe that just shows her character development. Yeah. Um. So, it, but you know, she's trying to comfort her son. I think this is one of the. It was either this point or the other point in the fountain. But um, again, this is like the, around the point where she refers to Regina as your mom when she's talking to Henry, which I did think was a moment of growth for her. Unless it was a yo mama joke. <laughs> you mama so evil. She's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. She doesn't even need to transform into a dragon to give birth to Lily. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we talked about this conversation before that Regina and Gold have where he says partitioning the darkness inside will not help you be the woman you'll be. He's trying to convince her that the evil queen is who you really are. And the more you lock it away, the more you'll suffer. But I think the more important point of this scene, Kurt, is that we go into Chinatown not to just grab some great wontons, re-enter the dragon. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think i have that movie blocked on my uh <laughs> <laughs> um, family show kurt that's it that's full kurt's coming the full bloom is coming out of kurt now. oh sorry sorry um yeah yeah you know unfortunately i did see this like a snippet of this in the previews it would have been nice to have this uh, sprung on me a little bit um but i really uh, I, I enjoyed this initial scene with, with the dragon, how, how gold, like we're looking for something not on display. Like I'm just an herbalist. I don't sell narcotics. <laughs> like, okay. Um, and I'm wondering this, <laughs> uh, Regina finally getting her happy ending in Chinatown. Um, Oh boy. Oh man. <laughs> I, I, I'm considered a saint in this comparison. People, this, this is, the world is turned upside what? down right now. What? No. Cause, cause when the dragon talks, like, I'm not going to deal with you, uh, uh, hench, uh, uh, Rumpelstiltskin. Um, yeah, I can, I, I don't deal with those whose souls are filled with darkness. Uh, but yet I will work with Regina. I see that there's a battle in your soul. I want you to keep fighting that soul. So you might get your happy ending. That's all I was saying. 
Of course, I might have to hang a do not disturb sign on that last comment there. I So, I mean, first, I just want to bring up that the dragon is back. We thought he had died in that August flashback when he went to, I think it was Thailand, to visit him. And we assumed that Tamara had killed him on behalf of Pam. But it seemed like he had survived, which is good. Yeah. It makes sense because I remember, I think, I don't even remember if we talked about this in our season two podcast. But, you know, the dragon was presented as this ultra, ultra magical, all-seeing, mystical figure. And him just getting killed so easily kind of seemed a little wah at the end of it. So to have <laughs> yeah. him survive, I think makes more sense. Yes. Yes. I, I agree. So yeah, the dragon really notices, as you said, this, this noble battle between light and dark and Regina's soul. So he feels like he will work with them here. Uh, so he starts to create a portal. First, he sort of shows where, what the other heroes are doing, which is essentially just running away from Hyde at this point. He tries to open a portal for them to jump through, but finds it's beyond his power. Uh, and this is where he starts. We start getting the idea of just because you don't think magic's here doesn't mean it doesn't exist everywhere. There's magic everywhere if you're willing to see it, which, as Emma points out, is a direct quote from August in season one. Yeah, it, it was it was a very nice kind of callback to that. Okay, should we talk about it, Kurt? Should we go to the fountain once more? I guess. <laughs> Do, do you want to talk about it or should I? Why don't you kick it off and I will provide color commentary. All right. So Henry brings everyone to the fountain, which he notices is it's a, it's a fountain where people throw in coins and presumably wishes. So according to his logic, the fountain is filled with wishes slash magic. He brings up that the last time he was here, remember Emma said, oh, you always go here when you're upset. The last time he was here, he was sad that Emma felt lonely and he wished his entire family would be brought back together. And then that's when season three B essentially happened. So he says, I'm going to toss a coin in and make the same wish. And the crystal begins to glow a little bit. So everyone begins to toss a coin in, but our heroes aren't the only people that need to wish in order for this crystal to fully become formed again. I was really hoping that when Violet threw in her coin to wish that she was wishing that her, her mom would come back and this was going to be all about vanquishing zombie Violet mom. Um, but it didn't really go there. <laughs> oh, with and vampire hide and zombie Violet's mom. Those yeah. would be the two big bads for next season. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, premiere you know, on Halloween night. And he, he starts to run up the stairs of the library. I'm like, Oh no, he's not, he's not, I'm like, but then I cut away briefly to, the uh the alternate world that the the you know, team charming is in um and says oh well, he's not going to do what i think he's going to do <laughs> yeah so just to talk briefly about that one momentary respite here um jekyll while they're on the run jekyll explains that hyde was basically conjured as his worst opposite and hook makes a basically you know one lines that oh it should next time make it a cute little bunny rabbit which i don't know if if it's a reference to that old bugs bunny cartoon where bugs bunny meets dr jekyll and mr hyde but i thought it was a funny line yeah and yes they they I, I, I was kind of a little curious, like they, they kind of get run into this alley and then David seems to look up and I thought he was like, they were looking in awe at some of the buildings, but I think it was just kind of meant to convey that it was a dead end because they actually, they, they find themselves basically cornered by Hyde. Mm-hmm. But let's get back to the fun stuff, shall we? Uh, as are your worst fears come true, Kurt? Henry wakes his way up the stairs, flings himself around a statue and makes a speech to everyone on the street about how magic needs to save his family and everyone just has to believe we need magic. It can make the world a better place. Yes. Everyone was a believer at some point as 
you know, the end of Shrek makes us uh, remember and encourages them all to make wishes. Now, first of all, Kurt, I have to say, as a native New Yorker, I probably heard this type of thing said probably three times during the course of my day by people wearing a variety of outfits. So this didn't, wouldn't seem out of place to me. I can imagine. It's oh, Gosh, yes. Continue. <laughs> yeah, so... I mean, these people are all willing to go for it. So good on New Yorkers, Mm. because again, I feel like three quarters of any New York crowd, if this really took place in New York, would just walk right by with their earbuds in and not even look at them because it's usually a a rule of New York that like you don't typically acknowledge some of the more crazy derelicts of the city because once you do, they actually tend to become crazier and actually detract all their attention onto you. I see where I would have been tempted to be like, attention everybody i'm gonna race around the world for a million dollars i need to to, i need to get 200 people to toss a coin in this (laughs) This is my roadblock this is my roadblock i need to get 200 people to toss coins in this fountain and 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 make a wish as they do um just you know believe though (laughs) (laughs) who's ready to get wet for some change (laughs) oh oh, i should write i should be writing clues for amazing race now call me but yeah, right. it's, I'm like, oh no, he's not doing the whole, uh, trying to convince the jaded New Yorkers to believe in magic once again to, okay. Yeah. I was yeah. waiting for Santa's sleigh to fly in. This totally reminded me of elf. I was waiting for them to all hold hands and say, I, th- I was reminding me a little bit of Peter Pan and trying not to get Tinkerbell to die. And I thought they were going to all have to like clap your hands. If you believe kids, uh, not the peter pan on the show but the the, the <laughs> oh could yeah. you imagine peter pan on the show too again? Okay, like yeah you, you have to everybody has to believe you'll clap your hands if you if you believe and you want tinkerbell to to not die and yeah so all right so we need to talk about this because i want to just hear your overall thoughts about the scene it's a little bit of a divisive point uh, i feel like from what i've read with fans it's skewed more towards the negative i mean becca told us the wishing well is by far the corniest thing that they've ever done on once upon a time and that's saying a lot do you agree with becca and what are your overall thoughts about this sequence i'm not ready to place it in like anywhere in the history books it was corny it was for me very very corny um the corny part was the needing to get everybody to believe uh, I, I, I guess I understand the need. Uh, there's a whole, you know, magic is everywhere and you just have to believe in it. Okay. So they had to get more people. I mean, I liked the idea of, I mean, I think, I think I would have been better served as a viewer personally by, uh, uh, wishing wells being centers of focus and belief and being charged with focus and belief. So this would be a natural spot to in such a big city for there to be a lot of belief and goodwill stored in it that they wouldn't necessarily have had to do the whole, it was really the whole speech thing that got to me. So I think they, they could have, I would have been happy if they had just kind of used the, uh, the underlying energy to do basically what they did. I really kind of liked the effect of things on the, um, on the other, in the land of untold stories. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of the coins falling, the pennies from heaven, as it were. Um, and <laughs> maybe, maybe Frank Sinatra is in this world. Maybe his story is untold. Yeah. So, and then like the portal opening up there. So I like that impact. I like the visual effect that was done in, um, in, in New York. Um, but again, the, the only issue was the, like the speech and getting everybody to do it. Otherwise I was fine. I thought so. No, I, 
I'm in line with you. So I really like the idea of this scene because, again, if we're talking about throwback going back to season one, I mean, this was August's entire pitch to Emma for the last like third of season one was magic exists everywhere. It's really and one of the things I loved about season one was kind of tracking Emma's breakthrough of her finally realizing that magic does exist and the power that that has the power that love has as a result. So I thought this whole idea of revisiting that when we've dug so much into this magical confusing mythology over the past five seasons was really great that being said i do think that henry's speech was something out of you know the cut pages of a full house episode uh it was it was pretty schmaltzy but i could possibly forgive the schmaltz for you know the the theming behind it and the effectiveness it had i know jeffrey k in particular was very salacious towards henry he said henry's ridiculous plot and his inability to act combined made much of the finale unwatchable and i don't know if i'd agree with that i think that henry's character was put to use well in this episode i don't know if jared gilmore is the best actor i think he did an okay job with it it's just i couldn't even blame jared gilmore for this thing because when if you're the if you're meryl streep and you're being given such a a hokey scene to do i don't even think she could make it work yeah no i i i was fine i I I have to disagree with though that that sentiment is to me it was less it was it was it was more so the scripting and the scene writing and the choice to have that be the way that the story was going to go I'm fine with I'm I'm okay with his acting it's just that you can only work with what you're given um I mean maybe the writers think the same thing of of Jerry Gilmore (laughs) but uh um it didn't ruin like the it didn't make the finale unwatchable for me it was like I said as much as I found this scene completely groanable and definitely corny and eye rollable. Um, I still really, really, really enjoyed the finale. Is that the next Will Smith movie? Eye rollable. <laughs> That's an eye rollable joke yeah. on it. So. <laughs> no, that was absolutely lovely. Mike Bloom. <laughs> oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, so uh, they are successful. Henry's speech has roused enough New Yorkers that the giant abyss water plume comes out of the New York fountain and out pop our heroes and Jekyll. Hyde is unable to get into the portal just in time. Uh, everyone embraces, except I noted that Regina and Zelina actually have a pretty uncomfortable embrace, despite the fact that they've come together so recently over the past couple of episodes. To me, this is almost, I, I noticed that too. And I was wondering to what extent this was like the, the writers just a little still undecided on uh, what their relationships like. Cause it's like, it's, it's almost like two students, like they're not at the point where they're like joyously hugging each other. They're just not there. Um, and so I think this, and it could have, yes, it easily could have been character driven. At the same time, part of it almost felt like the writers were like, uh, uh, and yeah, Regina and Zelina, um, warmly greet each other. And this was just how they chose to interpret it. It was, yeah, it, could, it was a little odd. It was a little, it odd. could be, it could be the directing as well. It could just be yeah. like the writing could have just been like everyone embraces and then the director's like, yeah. And then, you know, Lana touch Rebecca's shoulder. Exactly. So everyone, and the interesting thing here is that again, in the line of New York, everyone thinks that it was some sort of like Chris Angel mind freak trick. So, so close. So close. Wait, did you say David? Blaine? Yes, I did. <laughs> Silver medal for that. Partial credit. 
At least we didn't say uh, David Copperfield or else I feel like Antonio Mazzaro would be like quivering in his seats. I have Mazzaro hates magicians in my notes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, good. I mean, I I guess it's a good thing that Mazzaro isn't covering the show in the first place considering how much it deals with magic. That's true. That's true. And if you guys don't understand that, I'll listen to our Top Chef coverage of season 13, particularly I think it was the second to last episode where we find out Antonio Mazzaro really, really does not like magicians. Yes. Uh, so yeah henry is actually a little pissed about it because he feels like oh i didn't actually make people believe because they all thought it was an act but emma does comfort him that you know you made the world believe albeit for a second which again if this was a very sad very sweet and sappy scene i thought this was a nice capper to it yeah i i was i was apart from like there was one point like before you know where henry's like See, I told you. I just wanted to smack him when he like was kind of like you know that this that this was good. This is going to work. I told you it was going to work. That was kind of teen Henry there. Um, I, I liked again. I liked the I liked the result and the outcome. Just like the trigger, yeah, not a little cringeworthy. Yeah. But it turns out in a surprise, Hyde is stewing alone. He feels that everything has been shot to sunshine. Everything's gone except gold appears. I guess he jumped into the portal while everyone was distracted and because he does have Bell's box and Hyde blackmails him to say, okay, do what I say or you'll never see your wife or child again. Uh, But Hyde also reveals the information that he knows how to wake Bell up. And Hyde says he's learned some sort of information from being a warden to patients from a variety of worlds and there's one world in particular that can help him and we do not know what that is so again i'll save the speculation for season six but i think a, it's a that's a really interesting place to end it on yeah i agree and it's i i don't think that that's I, I i'd like to think that if gold wanted to get bell back he would easily be able to uh like he pretty much you know treats uh hide like a toll booth agent here and and could easily get the box back if he wanted to could probably easily find it but i think that little bit so it's not so much that he's working with hide to figure out to do in order because hide has leverage of any sort in terms of i've got bell and you don't i think gold still has bell but i think the thing that really intrigues gold is that hide says he knows a way to wake bell that's what gold doesn't have that's the true leverage i think that's exactly what it is because again he's set upon this whole crystal mission to try to wake her up and when that failed it seems like he's kind of back to square one so any sort of bit of information he can work with and he also again he's the dark one he thinks that no matter what he's going to have a leg up on somebody though i think Hyde is going to be a much more formidable opponent for the dark one than he initially thought um wait you think what say say that you think you think I, I think i think that i think that gold is underestimating Hyde. oh see i, I think, think i i don't i think Hyde underestimated gold majorly i i I, I don't I don't think that they're necessarily opponents. Uh, I think that gold underestimated the value that Hyde had. But I don't think that in a, in a if there was a truly just a fight, go, there's no challenge whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, I guess we'll see. Who knows? Again, we don't know what Hyde's capabilities are, especially now that he is separated from Jekyll. So let's just yeah. we'll put that in our caps until season six. Okay. So let's go up on the roof, up on the roof, uh, to quote Carol King, as Snow finds Regina up there. And I, thought this was, where I, you know, I thought that was the Drifters. 
Yeah, anyway. I think she wrote the song. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm thinking about Beautiful, the Carol King musical, which Got is it. in there. So you, I think you're. I'm going I think more we're both right. Yeah, we're both right in this case. Um, so Snow gives her some nice hot chocolate with cinnamon and schnapps, which makes me really actually really yearn for winter because that sounds absolutely delicious. Um, and Regina kind of vocalizes to Snow her problems about how she has a lot of difficulty keeping the evil queen at bay. Um, and she actually made a wish at the fountain to wish the evil queen away, but it didn't come true. So Snow and Emma have a plan that could make that wish come true. This has bad idea written all over it. Yeah. Hey, let's find this new experimental drug in a way and utilize it to help our friend. It'll in no way have any negative repercussions. Twist for season six. It was a placebo all the time. (laughs) The evil (laughs) queen was inside of you all along. Well, that we knew that we knew. Yeah, that we knew. So what do you think about this, this scene where, you know, it's the three of them standing up on the roof and Regina says, you know, leave me alone. I'm in snow. want to be there. And we see the serum get injected and we actually see the formalization of the evil queen, which is, I guess, just Regina in her enchanted forest gear. I was, one, I was wondering going into this, if this was going, cause, cause Jekyll and Hyde are very, two different actors. very, two different actors look very different. Although at one point Jekyll does kind of say how, uh, we all kind of, envision our dark side a little bit differently uh, so there is so okay so i was wondering you know when this split happens with regina and the queen if it was going to be classic classic uh evil queen or if we we're going to get some new being that was going to come into existence yeah i i agree with that i mean i don't want to make another dragon ball z comparison but it's very like majin buu-esque but no it turns out that i think you know, we just got rid of James, the evil twin. Now it seems like we have an evil version of Regina as well. Albeit for a few seconds as Emma chains her down and they say, okay, this is it, Regina. This is your moment. There was definitely a brief time, Kurt, when I thought, oh God, Regina's not going to do it, is she? She's totally going to let evil Regina into the world and that's going to make everything go crazy. Yeah. Well, no, I, I thought like I thought from the get-go, this was just a horrible, horrible idea. And that you had three... Uh, normally when you would get these three people together, you would have at least one person, at least one person battling how horrible an idea this was. And again, I'm not saying it was horrible from the purposes of uh, the story of once upon a time moving forward, just in terms of decision-making, I'm surprised that this ever got off the ground. Um, I'm intrigued to, to see that, that when they kind of went through with it, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm on board to see how this goes. <laughs> like, you know what? I, I don't think you guys made the right move, but you know what? I'm going to sit back with my, with my drink and just kind of see where this takes you. So good luck. Um, yeah, when we do a podcast on why Regina lost, will you point to this moment? <laughs> I think we, we, we might, but like you at the very end of it, I was, I, well, first of all, I wasn't really clear on how she was going to kill her. I guess how she goes about it makes sense. Um, the, the usual heart squashing method, heart squashing method, method, but unfortunately there's also the usual uh, lack of dust cleaning up method uh, as we saw with Hades. Um, But my, like my final note on this section was, huh, that went much better than I thought it would. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, after like, albeit a couple moments of suspense, she defies at least my expectations and does 
crush her heart, even though the evil queen tries to, you know, get a few jabs in by saying, uh, deep down, you need me. But Regina is very adamant that she doesn't. It's also a fun little detail here that evil queen's heart is rather black with a little red spot as opposed to, you know, snow white when she had the big black spot on her heart. Yeah, it was it was a nice little touch. So yeah, she's crushed it. She's turned to dust, ashes to ashes, or so we think. We'll definitely talk about that in a little bit. But let's get back to Storybrooke, shall we? Yes, let's. Uh, we get with the first of two carfuls of people returning. Yeah, because they, they carpooled their way down. There's a caravan. Um. All right, let's talk about Violet's father here, because they bring up the fact that oh, Violet has a Camelotian. We're sorry that you basically hit, missed the the last boat to Camelot almost. But she says no, actually, my dad and I were going to stay here because my father wasn't from Camelot. My father was actually from a place called Connecticut. I am immediate- as if you didn't as if you didn't get it before. She immediately she <laughs> actually says he's a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's court. I well, I think that that reference is uh can be filed underneath under uh you know kind of the uh untold stories or whatever the hell the the steampunk world was it's 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 obscure enough that probably a good number of listeners weren't familiar with the mark twain story um so uh i i i i thought it was cl- i actually thought it was clever i actually liked it then when he said he's from Connecticut, I'm like, oh, he was a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's court. And then she vocalizes it, which I think she needed to. I personally do. I don't think she needed to. I, I think I, I maybe it's because I know the reference, but I thought it was subtle enough that I think it was, if anything, it would have been an Easter egg at the worst. If at the most people would have gotten the reference. So I feel like she didn't need to emphasize, oh yeah, this is also the title of the book too. Yeah. Okay. You know, I agree. I, th- I think it would have been, I would think I would have enjoyed it more if it had been left as a little bit of a wink and an Easter egg and not spelled out. I'll, I'll agree to that. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, if in every Pixar movie, somebody, a big arrow just pointed to the pizza planet truck yeah. in every film. It's like, Oh, here it is. Everyone take a close look. This is the pizza planet truck from toy story. Don't you remember that? I wasn't aware of the pizza planet truck Easter egg. Oh my God. But I also don't watch Pixar. So, Oh, that's <laughs> add it to your movie list. All the all the Pixar canon. Yes. To your movie. You can skip cars too. Everything else <laughs> add to your movie list. But top story here, Violet and Henry share it, I believe it's their first kiss, right? Did they kiss back in season five A? Honestly, Mike Bloom, this is gonna be a controversial stance. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> um I'm like you know what? I have no emotional investment in this relationship. Let's just move on. (laughs) I mean, I'm not saying that to you. I'm saying in terms of like, as I was watching, I was like, they're obviously kissing right here. And I just want to get to the next scene. The only thing that I will say about this is that I think this scene shows between the Connecticut Yankee thing and the kiss. I think Violet's here to stay. Yeah. I mean, she said her, her, I mean, Oh, you mean on the show? (laughs) Yeah. As opposed to, I mean, obviously like her, her dad's like, happy to stay back here you i don't know how i feel about this mike bloom i I, I don't know which to. i don't know which i'm a little bit more trepidatious about violet staying or uh venry 
potentially being a future thing. And maybe that's something that we talk about for, I, I I'm okay with Violet as a character. I'm not sure if I like seeing the relationship of Violet and Henry being a thing moving forward in terms of something that we have to watch, but we can talk about that in our season six discussion. Yeah. I, I do think that it is a thing and a, it'll give some, Henry something to do because he's only, he, he's given like one or two things to do a season. So this is a way to like, you know, we'll, we'll give him stuff to do. We'll give him a, a romance. Maybe this will mean they'll build out Violet's character a little bit. I mean, there's a big question now of, how did Sir Morgan, who I think it's, he's named after Hank Morgan, who is the character from uh, Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's court. But you know, how did he get there? Is this connected to something at all? So there, they have something to work with now, but I don't know. I just got a big feeling after that scene that she'll stick around though. We were wrong about Maleficent and Lily being part of the action as well. So for all we know, she could get pushed into a corner as well, starting in season six <laughs> into the land of, un- maybe that's where Maleficent and Lily are. They're in the, yeah. they're in the land of unfinished stories or whatever. Yeah. That's called. where all the, that's where all the kids, that's where Prince Philip's soul is. <sighs> season six finally holds some promise for that. We did get us. Uh, we did get a couple of tweets from our listeners last night saying, either saying a the dragon is lily's father or b violet's father is lily's father so well, give, this paternity thing is a really big mystery given that violet's father hasn't been in the u.s since like the late 1700s um i don't think that that's viable since we know that lily's father was a dragon <laughs> i'm more inclined to go that direction if i have to choose between the two Oh boy. Yeah. That's, I mean, if we talk about hitting things on the nose with the Connecticut Yankee on King Arthur's court, this is like smashing your nose in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not quite, well, it gives the whole enter the dragon thing, a whole new, Never mind. Okay. All right. Okay. Do not disturb sign doubly now, Kurt. Uh, so the other car pulls out and they, they show Jekyll, the town starting with grannies, but of course, of course we, starting with grannies. Yeah. This starting with the place happens. where, you know, we spend more time here than we do at our actual house. Wedding receptions, uh, wakes, <laughs> uh, all your big events. Yeah. All our big events happen there just save the world, all that stuff. But we have a reconciliation scene here between Emma and hook because we saw them at the very beginning, but otherwise they've been separated the entire time, which again, kind of sucks considering that hook just came back from the dead for her. Uh, so they have a big kiss and I don't know if you noticed this, Kurt, but very heavily framed in the background was a wedding dress. I didn't notice that. No, so I I don't know. We might see a wedding. Have we had, well, we've had like some weddings in the Enchanted Forest. We haven't had any Storybrooke weddings. No, there's a <laughs> Storybrooke wedding. No Storybrooke <laughs> weddings. No, it's been, there's been too much going on. Yeah. I feel like any, if you try to plan a wedding date in Storybrooke, it must be hell because you're constantly you know, like somebody could come swooping in and destroy the town. Changing the seating chart because everybody's dying or new people are coming in. <laughs> getting, turn, or getting turned into trees. Yeah. The minister, you know, got turned into a rat. I mean, I do have to say though, that when they kissed, I at least recognized that I was supposed to feel something unlike the Henry and unlike the Henry and Violet kiss. (laughs) (laughs) Good. I'm glad one out of two worked for you. I didn't feel anything. I just recognized I was intended and supposed to feel something. So Regina finally untethers the magic and there's it's interesting that they utilize the same true love spell effect on it. Yeah. You think that when it like sucked up all the magic, that it should have been a reverse look like that, or at least like there should have been some like, uh, or, or like those those purple uh, pillars of light just shot up out of it as you know uh, so something that was more akin to what happened when he first tethered it so yeah whatever uh, maybe, maybe it's maybe it's because Regina is in love with magic maybe like things 
being curses being broken has that anyway uh, I don't know but the crystal disappears so no more Olympian crystal that um, th- that's all gone now but someone who is not gone is Hyde who now is in storybook and thanks her for putting magic back in the town seems like gold made a deal to get Hyde in there and storybook is his now and he brought some friends and well again we'll leave it at that uh, though he leaves us on very ominous words darkness is not as easy to snuff out as you believe yeah <laughs> and then I, well, it's very say, yeah. poignant because it gets to the very last scene of this episode where we see our abyss wend its way through chinatown uh, and it appears in the dragon shop and it coalesces into the evil queen so again maybe we'll find out how that worked you i'm assuming dust is dust though zelina has proven us wrong before uh the evil queen replies regina should have never let me out to play and says yes there was a battle residing within regina but a war has just begun and she's just won the battle and he takes the dragon's heart and says the queen is back. I don't think the dragon's dead again, yeah, I agree. but I think, you know, having control of the heart of a supremely magical being uh, is a big, uh Oh, right. I think if, I think if she was going to kill a dragon, we would have seen it like burst in the dust and then cut the black immediately. Um, she could be controlling the dragon. I mean, it's one of those things that like, you know, the dragon died before and came back, or we at least were led to believe he died before and come back. Um, and so far, the only thing that's, they really emphasize the impacts that the Olympian crystal had, like you aren't just dead. You are ended and gone. If you were killed with the Olympic crystal. Uh, so it seems that, uh, crushing somebody's heart and turning them to dust uh obviously they can come back you know what happened somehow to to regina so even if she was to crush the heart of the dragon and kill him he could still return and maybe it's something where even though the evil queen is technically separated from regina maybe there's still a part that's like tethered to her almost you know neither can live while the other survives in that like they're both still alive because they're connected to each other i don't know i'm just throwing out loose theories here but i want to save it for our our season five feedback show but yeah really interesting way to end i'll admit i again i really really like this episode i wasn't a big fan of these last like five minutes because now i'm really afraid that we're going to get into like evil twin territory for season six i agree I'm yeah. just gonna leave it. I, I'm just gonna leave it. At that. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you know we talk about like when this show does b- become soapy, and it doesn't become soapy a good ninety percent of the time. But this might be in that ten percent of like now we're going to have an evil version of Regina walking around in Storybrooke. That's not good. I'm much much more excited for Jekyll Hyde and the Land of Untold Stories yes. denizens than I am for Evil Queen Regina at this point. Yeah, when there's kind of point where Regina and Hyde are talking to each other in Storybrooke, and Hyde basically reveals, you know, now all their you know, lost and forgotten stories can play out. I'm like, I'm okay with that. I mean, it, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I, I don't think that we are necessarily meant to, I, I, I wasn't led to believe that all of the, un, all of the stories in the land of untold stories were evil or dark necessarily. Um, especially if we were kind of given this Gulliver, Paul Bunyan, Don Quixote sort of, uh, uh, uh teaser, but I, I will, I will leave that for our, uh, I will leave that for our next discussion. And before we leave these guys, Kurt, any more thoughts about just the season five finale overall? Um, as I said, I, I really like it. I enjoyed that we got to see a new land um, that we hadn't seen before. Um, 
it was very interesting that land and it wasn't uh neverland um so it was it was it was it was good we got some interesting new characters um there are a couple scenes i could have done done without uh Mm -hmm. uh, but all in all i enjoyed it I mean, yeah, a couple of scenes in a two-hour show is is nothing to scoff at. Right. I think I think the vast majority of this episode worked. And I mean, I would say if I could go going back to this question at the very beginning of rank the season finales, I might honestly like this format more than the you know one-off Back to the Future and alternate reality stuff. So for me, it might go one is always going to be the first because after waiting for an entire season, Emma finally broke the curse. She finally believed in magic and everything came about. So that's always going to be number one for me. I'm tempted to put this one second, either this one or four. I might go like one, four, five, three, and then two at the bottom. Because again, it just, from what I remember, it was pretty unremarkable. See, it's, it, I don't think we can't really comment on, um, how I'm trying to figure out what I'm trying to say here. It's I think one of the things we talked about in terms of some of the previous season finales is it does seem to be pretty standalone. When you get to the next season, it really didn't have anything to do with, uh, except very, very tangentially, maybe uh, what the season finale was about. We're assuming uh, this sets things up for season six. I'm not going to go too far into that, but it sets things up for season six to very easily play off of and strongly incorporate the last two hours of season five. We don't know for sure. It will. We know that Hyde is there, but for, for all we know, Regina waves her hand and all of the untold stories go back and it's just Hyde, (laughs) which would, which would then kind of make that whole last two hours like negated kind of, but I, it, it does at least seem like it's being set up to strongly incorporate many elements from the two hour uh, finale, as opposed to just the last 10 minutes of the 10 hour finale, which, yeah, which, is which some of the, which some of the finales had done. Which is exciting to me at least because it yeah. means that these guys don't feel like they have to create things from scratch over the next few months while they film this first half season. They can say, okay, we've laid down the groundwork. Now let's build a path from there. Right. So I know you guys out there are going to have a lot of thoughts on this, both about our your thoughts in response to our thoughts on this episode. As we talked about before, we'd love to hear your questions and thoughts and theories as well for our feedback show. We need your responses here, guys. We need your postcards sent from Vancouver. So please uh, write to us on Twitter at Kirk Clark at a Mike Bloom type. Uh, go to postshowrecaps.com slash feedback as well. Also, I'll be creating a thread in the RHAP patron group for those of you that are patrons to submit your stuff. We want to hear everything and anything you have to say about this past half season, this finale, this entire season five. It's, uh, you know, you have two weeks, so you have ample time to even go back and listen to stuff from the first half of season one if you don't remember or first half of season five if you don't remember stuff and your thoughts about season six as well uh we will be taking a week off in between so i'd say cutoff date would probably be around memorial day weekend or so so kurt and i will be back around end of may beginning of june to talk about your feedback and get to what's going on in season six that being said please make sure if you haven't yet it's never too late to subscribe to our once 
upon a time only feed at postshowrecaps.com slash once iTunes. And while you're here on Post Show Recaps, check out everything else that's going on. SNL is coming down to a close, but Seinfeld's still going strong. The Mr. Robot rewatch just started, and it's great. Fear the Walking Dead, Game of Thrones are better than ever, so please make sure you're dialed into everything going on with Post Show Recaps. To finish things off, Kurt, we have gone over two hours in this supersized podcast. Do you have a hashtag for people who made it all the way through? As much as I would love for it to be Don't Taze Me Snow, I think we have to go with Dornado. It was short, it was elegant, it was clever, so let's go with Dornado. I'll throw in a second hashtag of Key and Pool as well. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Just so we can both acknowledge our horrible puns, albeit yours was unintentional. <laughs> mine, mine was based on uh, uh, idiocy versus cleverness. <laughs> Well, that just makes it an even better joke because it was unintended. So feel free to use any of those hashtags. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. We wouldn't be able to do this without you guys. So that being said, again, we'd love to hear from you guys in any way, shape, or form. We look forward to talking once again about Once Upon a Time in two weeks' time. Until then, if you miss your Easy Pass payment, just uh, choke the toll booth operator. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.